Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 238, Rosenstrike versus Gaziev, also known as UFC Vegas 87. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as usual, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, obviously, we're talking now for the first time in a week. We did not do a recap of UFC Mexico. I blame the altitude. I was too gassed out to talk. Uh, se several fighters on the card found that out the hard way as well. Much as I'd like to dive into that with you, uh, time marches on and so do we. So uh, we got an 11 fight card here in Vegas, uh, 10 fights that we were planning on and then a pair of Mexican refugees in the form of uh, Raul Rosas Jr. and Ricky Tercios, whose fight was pushed to this week from UFC Mexico after Rosas Jr. fell ill on the day of the fights. Uh, give me your overall thoughts on this card. Give me a letter grade for it on paper, or if you like, I'll go first, whatever, whatever you want, ma'am. Yeah. Um, yeah, before I forget, I, I gotta give a shout out to my boys and my girls. On, on my uh, the reason why I wasn't there for the recap is I actually attended the Rhode Island High School Wrestling State Championship, which is always a really good time. Um, I want to give a shout out to so many guys and, and girls on my son's. You know, I, I, as people know, my son's part of a private wrestling club, so there's kids as young as my son all the way to college kids, uh, high school, obviously, a lot, a lot of kids. We had first time ever Rhode Island did a, a girls state championship all girls so we crowned sick uh excuse me, we crowned three girls state champion from uh my son's team uh including two sisters which was pretty cool and we had three other boys win the state title from my son's team two of them uh peyton and gabe both won the fourth state championship so they finished their career completely undefeated Rhode Island. both won the state championships and both incredible new england they're both new england champions and and Gabe is probably the greatest Rhode Island wrestler ever. He's going on. He's going on to Cornell. So if you're a college wrestling fan, make sure you check out root for my boy Gabe Boise. His dad oh. is the head coach of our team. Um, I mean, just keep in mind that the person calling him maybe the greatest Rhode Island wrestler ever <laughs> is the man who would have had to give up that title yeah. uh, in order, to, you know, to vacate. So Keith is dusting, dusting off the throne, getting up and allowing Gabe to take his seat. If you don't follow. Yeah, his, so, real quick, so his dad once said to me, when he was a freshman, he goes, so who would have won his freshman year or your senior year? Oh. And I said, dude, he never would beat me. And his dad's like, really? I go, yeah, because I would have got out of his weight class. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's that good. He's, he's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, seriously, I, I, I'm, he, and he's a great, great kid, like better human than he is even a wrestler. He's going to do and, – and Peyton, same thing, both those kids, uh, great uh, – examples for my own son to learn from uh, and then we had a, you know another kid win a state title we had three other kids that are like kind of associated they've trained at our team and not like they're not one of our core people but they won state championship we had uh four guys losing the finals i mean we we just dominated so uh really really fun time but so what were you gonna say well, i was just gonna say for those who don't follow college wrestling pretty closely you hear that gabe is going to uh cornell understand that of the Ivy League schools, some of them dip in and out, but Cornell is the only Ivy League school that's oh, yeah. like really good at wrestling. Like, yeah, yeah, I think they finished third in the in the country last year, and I think they're I'm not sure and, right now. Not as good, but like they're like eighth or twelfth or something. That's absolutely wild for schools that, by their definition, are that small and have that exclusive uh, admission 
you know, uh, criteria. Like, yeah, it's fantastic. Like Cornell is like the good Ivy League wrestling school. So congratulations to Gabe and the rest of the team. Yeah. Uh, the most interesting thing that happened in my life is I watched the first episode of the Dynasty series on the Patriots uh, okay. <laughs> today. If you haven't started that, dude, it'll it'll be uh, even better for you than it is for me. And for me, okay. it's amazing. It's so good. So I watched um, I watched the, the Tom, uh, you know, time versus Tom thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I got to watch this one, too. Dude, like because it starts when Bledsoe is quarterback, when he gets yeah. that horrible injury. So oh, you're yeah. seeing shots of Brady standing on the scale at the NFL combine, looking like a high school sophomore. And you got all the guys from the time, like, you know, like Ty Law is hilarious in all of his little oh, yeah, interview yeah. segments. Yeah. It, I, remember, uh, I remember meeting Ty Law. I, I, I'll give you two quick Ty Law story. I'll tell you. I met Ty Law his rookie year. Uh, at Bryant College, where they used to practice before Foxborough was all, you know, the stadium and the whole, uh, they call it Patriot Place now, is done up. And I met him at Bryant College, his rookie year. And then, <laughs> even better one, when I was, when I, so he, he owns a lot of businesses in Rhode Island and stuff. I mean, Foxborough is two towns from Rhode Island, so it's, it's pretty much Rhode Island. It's like, like, like the, the opposing teams will play, will stay at a hotel. Like, I actually ran into Josh Allen this year. Ooh. Um, when I went to a comedy show, uh, <laughs> Ty Law, when I was in patrol, uh, I, I went to a car accident and Ty Law hit a kid on his bike <laughs> with his car. <laughs> and the kid was like, kid was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm thinking like, do you, you know, a young kid, you know, he's very tight. Like you have no idea who this guy is. <laughs> <laughs> I, would like, been, I would have been like my neck, my back. <laughs> I, would have been like, I would have been like Bobby Heenan with a neck brace. <laughs> or at, at the very least, you'd be like, "You got to sign my cast." Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if you're not the type that's like going to be litigious and sue him, like at least get something out of it. Yeah, yeah. you know. Oh, uh, uh, so as far as the, the card, you know what, man. When I first, you know, Rosenstrike versus Gassiev, like, as, as the main event, I was like, oh, man, this card. And then when I went through the fights, there may be one fight that I'm not interested in from, you know, there's some fights that I'm not oh, interested in. Oh, no, no, let me oh, guess. Yeah, you know. Eric Andrews versus Jamie Pickett. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not, but, you're not doing your job because you know that thing's going to be on the main card. Oh, yeah. Your job yeah, is to, to put these fights in order for the UFC. You're you're sleeping on the job because you know they're going to put that thing on the main. Yeah, card. that's ridiculous. It's it's by far the worst fight on the card. And I, I mean, when I look at the card, like, there's some guy, you know, like Tyson Pedro at this point of his career. I'm not really that interested, in, but I'm Petrino. I am, you know. So yeah. it's like it's kind of like that all the way down the card. So I don't know. It doesn't have like huge name value, but there's like there's some hot prospects on this. Yeah. Four undefeated fighters on here. Yeah. The top three fights, you got Gaziev, you got Petrino, you got Mohamed Mukhaev. Further down the card, you have Javid Basharat. However you feel about that no contest yeah. in his last fight, he is still yeah. technically undefeated. There, Yeah, there's some serious prospects on this card. Yeah, I give it like a B, B minus. Like I, I like this card. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, you know, I'm thinking B, B minus. I, like, I, I don't hate that. And the thing is, yeah, we're complaining about Eric Andrews versus Jamie Pickett, like, Neither guy is ever going to be ranked at this point, and the fight itself is probably going to be terrible. But you know what? There's only 11 fights on this card. This could be a 14-fight card with three more fights like that just stuffed yeah. in for no apparent reason, and that, that card I'd be given a C-. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is going to be lean and mean. It's not going to waste a whole lot of our time. Yeah, I, if, 
if this became the new standard for this is the average fight night card, sign me the hell up. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Any other thoughts before we dive into these prelims? No, let's get into it. All right. The bout order on this card is really up in the air, aside from the top three fights. The fight that looks like the card opener at this point, we'll talk about right now. It is a lightweight scrap between Loic Rajabov and Abdul Karim Al Salwadi. Rajabov, the 33-year-old Tajik, is 17-5-1 overall. He's 1-1 one one since joining the UFC out of a variety of promotions, but he was a, a standout lightweight in PFL for several seasons. He uh, fought most recently at UFC on ABC Emmett versus Taporia last June, where he got knocked out in the second round by Mateus Rubeski. He'll look to get back in the win column against the debuting Al-Salwadi. Uh, Al-Salwadi, 28-year-old, Born in the U.S., but uh, of descended from first-generation Palestinian immigrants, has speaks Arabic, has lived both in the Middle East and in the U.S., currently fighting out of uh, Fortis MMA. He's 15-3 and three overall. This will be his debut, but he won on the Contender Series back in August, and prior to that, he was uh, the outgoing Fury FC lightweight champ. Uh, on the Contender Series, uh, he took a unanimous decision over George Hardwick to uh, stamp his passport to the UFC. It's taken him this long to get in the cage, and he is the uh, moderate favorite. Minus 160, Rajabov plus 130 on the comeback. I was not ultra high on El Salwadi as a prospect, even as he won fight after fight in Fury, even as he won the title. Like, uh, Fury is a high enough level promotion now that if you win a Fury title south of lightweight, you're going to at least make it to the UFC. You're, you're going to go along with Adrian Yanez, uh, Mana Martinez, Jacob Silva, uh, well, Ricky Tercios that we'll be talking about in a minute. North of, you know, lightweight and above, it's not absolutely a guarantee. And I, I thought he's a good fighter, well-rounded, uh, pretty good highlight reel. The Contender Series appearance last August is what opened my eyes because he went into that fight. George Hardwick was the Cage Warriors lightweight champ and Cage Warriors is a promotion where if you have the lightweight title, you're likely making it to the UFC and you're probably making a pretty big splash. You're you're in the Conor McGregor, Patty Pimblett discussion and kind of like I mean, I'm nobody thought he was the next McGregor, but he was a hot shit striker. He was knocking people out uh, else. He was like a minus 300 favorite against Al Salwadi and also what he schooled him and he schooled him specifically on the feet, just outstruck the dude for three rounds. And that made me feel a little differently about him. Uh, you know, if you told me last July, yeah, Abdul Kareem Al Salwadi is going to be fighting Loic Rajabov in the UFC. I'd be like, yeah, Rajabov grinds him out pretty easy. 30, 27. Now I feel differently about it. Um, Al Salwadi, Good athlete. We have him listed at 5'7 and 155 pounds. I think he's probably taller than that. And even if he isn't, like I've, I've been face to face with him. I think he's taller than that. You know, I'm 5'9 and I think he's my height at least. And fights longer than that. Like when, when he got into his striking exchanges with Hardwick, he didn't, it didn't seem like Josh Emmett trying to bounce into range against a dude that's six inches taller than him. Uh, he hits with good power, not one shot starch you power, but just, you know, everything hurts. He prefers to conduct business on the feet, but I think he's actually a good wrestler. I think he's just a younger, probably bigger, fresher version of a lot of what Rajabov offers. Uh, even if 
Raja Bob is more willing to turn to the wrestling and kind of turn fights into a grind. I do like him in this fight. I think he wins a decision. Um, he's proven that he has plenty of cardio to go three rounds, even at a high paced fight where, you know, things are getting mixed up on, on the feet and, you know, takedown attempts. So yeah, give me Al Sawadi by decision here. And I do think of him as kind of a dark horse person of interest in this division going forward, even if it is lightweight. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Rossbaugh being with the PFL. <laughs> Dude, we didn't mention this. I mean, I know the PFL now owns Bellator, but holy Christ. <laughs> but Bellator owned PFL on Saturday. <laughs> oh, I mean, if, if, if the ghost of Ryan Bader didn't show up for the main event, uh, that would have been really embarrassing. <laughs> holy Christ. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's, let's, get into, uh, let's get into this one. Uh, Rossbaugh. I actually think this is a really good fight right off, right off the mm-hmm. bat. Uh, two guys that, that I, I think, you know, I like, I think Roswell is, is a, you know, solid, you know, mid card kind of guy that's always going to be tough out. And I think Al Sawadi is a good addition. Uh, Roswell, he's a high volume striker. He presses the opponent back with hard shots. Uh, yeah, I like his straight right a lot. Uh, he can kind of overthrow it sometimes. Uh, and, he, and he throws a lot of overhands with it. There's also some spinning attacks. Uh, he makes a mistake of, of hanging his hands low, which kind of makes him a big target. He is also open to leg kicks. Uh, go back to like the Robeski fight. Robeski had a lot of success and he kind of pushed his legs with kicks. He also struggled when uh, with Robeski being that he was southpaw stance, like he was getting hit a lot. Uh, he does, uh, Roswell, he does use his volume well uh, to follow his strikes to get to the clinch where he kind of likes to grind and slow the fight down. He's a good wrestler. He got some good entries. Some some slick body lock throws, looks to advance on the ground, mean ground and pound. He's submission ready. He's got five uh, subs on his record. A uh, bit of like a head attack specialist. Uh, like, he, like, like guillotine is one of his go-tos. Al Sawadi, uh, I mean, this guy looked good on, on you know, he, I agree with you said, like his rise up. I mean, he entered the, the contender series so I, as like a big underdog in that fight. Yeah. Dude, yeah, like uh, George Hardwick was like minus 330. And yeah. Hardwick was, he was the guy that was like, he was the hot shit new Cage Warriors guy that was going to go on and become a star. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Al Sawadi, I mean, I thought the dude looked incredible. Now, I ain't going to go straight Laura Sanko, who started <laughs> comparing him to, to Alex Volkanovsky. Like, I, I'm not going to go that far. Um, but, oh, 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 speaking of which, you see Taporia uh, in. And I'm sure he started it was all over Twitter. I guess he, he was at some soccer match this week. Yeah. Uh, and I, I want to address this to Europeans and, and, or just soccer fans in general. They're the most insecure people on, on planet Earth. Because I just saw nonstop saying, like, oh, Americans don't realize, like, how big this is. And, and uh, you know, this soccer player has uh, – a hundred million, billion, zillion, like one championship type level followers on Instagram. <laughs> like, no, we will always realize how big it is because you guys won't shut the fuck up about how popular, how much more popular soccer is than American sports. We get it. You don't have to keep yep. telling us every 10 minutes. Yeah. All, like, all of our kids play soccer when they're eight years old. We know how big soccer is. Yeah, we, we just like, stop. Yeah. Yeah. Like we go out to men's sports. We get it. Like, anyways, um, Cool. Anyways, I'm just sorry. I love you guys. Uh, Alza, he, he, the reason why he was compared to Volkanovski is the way he moves. He moves really well, constantly cutting angles, uh, changing uh, the way the strikes are coming in, constantly switching stances, really good volume. Uh, I was impressed by his ability to strike while backing up. 
Uh, he darts in and out of range really well to land shots. Good variety in his striking. Kept mixing up the different combinations. Uh, I liked at one point he was throwing step-in elbows, which which is really cool to see. Sets up his shots really. And he was freezing uh, Hardwick on, on the contender series with with feints. He throws hards. He got some good power. Hard calf kicks. He will throw him naked, so he's he's open to counters there. You mentioned his wrestling. He mixed up the striking and takedowns together really well. He can wrestle. Uh, he also has that mindset when he, when he goes for a takedown. He has that mindset to keep pursuing the takedown until he gets it. And a really great gas tank. I mean, despite uh, having such a good output, he really doesn't slow down. So I think this is a great fight. I think both guys are well-rounded. Uh, I'm with you, though. I'm going to go with UFC Newcomer, though, which before I really dug into tape study, like, I, like I've said this before, I kind of write guys down who I think is going to win, and then I – go into my tape study and see if that changes my opinion. And it did for this one. Uh, Russell's a good striker, but he has, he has some defensive issues. He's, he's you know, he's older. I think also what he's going to, you know, move, especially to that southpaw stance a lot, land some better shots there. I think both guys will have their moments, but I'm going with a, sleep, uh, a slight lean for um, uh, Al Sawadi. So give me Al Sawadi by split decision. Next up, or at least it's the one we're going to talk about next, is a bantamweight matchup between Vinicius de Oliveira and Giannis Gamori. De Oliveira, 28-year-old Brazilian, will be making his debut. He is 19-3 and overall. He fought on the Contender Series back in September, knocking out Victor Madrigal in just three minutes. Uh, he is on a two-fight win streak overall. He will look to extend it to three against Gamori. Uh, Gamori, 29-year-old Frenchman, is 12-2 and overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC, but there are a whole string of asterisks connected to that. He was supposed to fight at UFC Paris last year, was supposed to fight uh, Colin Loughran at Bantamweight. Everything got jumbled during fight week, so he ended up taking on William Gomez at Featherweight, a weight class up was acquitting himself fairly well in a losing effort, and then late in the third round, Gomez tagged him with a massive groin shot that the ref ruled was not a groin shot, ended up being ruled a TKO win for Gomez. Uh, so Gamori, again, ran into all sorts of bad luck in that debut. He's taken a clean slate here. He's going back down to 135, where he fought primarily on the regional scene. He did fit, fight at Bantamweight as well as Featherweight, but his best outings have been at Bantamweight. That's where he'll be fighting this weekend. Nonetheless, he is not the favorite here. Uh, De Oliveira is minus 180, Gamori plus 150. And, uh, Keith, I'll give you a little preview of something here. These first two fights we've talked about, Rajabov versus Al-Sawadi, Oliveira versus Gamori, both of the lines have been at least closer than 2-1. to one. Okay. So is Rosenstrike versus Gaziev. Every other fight we're going to talk about in between has at least a two to one favorite. And most of them have at least a three to one favorite. One wow. of them is one of the highest lines you'll see all the, all year in the UFC. So uh, if you're, if you're listening to this on an audio platform, you're going to miss out probably on a lot of Keith's. This line does not make sense face. And I can only apologize and say, come okay, see us I, on YouTube. I, I, I think I know. I'll we'll get to the one I yeah, think well, I know I mean, who has to be the huge favorite. Yeah, well, you know, we'll, we'll get to it. I'll, I'll let you guess. But uh, on this one, well, it's going Oliveira... to be pretty late if I don't if I don't guess now because it's got to be Petrino. I mean, dude, is it not? Oh, oh no, 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 no! It's Nemagomedov. I'm sorry, it's Nemagomedov. Yeah, if I tell you, there's there's one there's one minus twelve hundred favorite on this card. You know who it is. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I was looking at my names real quick and yeah, yeah, it's the Mario Mando. But the, the right. is good. We'll, we'll get to that later. But. We'll get to that when we get to it. Here we're talking about De Oliveira versus Gamori. Uh, tell me how you feel about this one. Uh, is Gamori better than what we saw in France? And uh, do you believe in either of these guys as a legit prospect of 135? Um, no, I mean, I mean, it has more to do with the the division and we, yeah. i mean i say that all the time but, but i think 135 between 135 and 170 is just murder's row it just mm-hmm. it, you gotta be a special special person it's it's you know heavyweight light heavyweight that's winning the state title in rhode island you know 135 to 170 is like winning the state title from like New Jersey to I don't know Wisconsin. Like that's that's some yeah. serious, you know, Pennsylvania's in there. Do, do, Pen- yeah, Pennsylvania's Illinois, the Yeah, Illinois and you know. Uh Gamora, I mean, I like I, I like what I've seen in this guy. He's he's a counter striker that that fights out of both stances. He's he's uh, he's a Muay Thai striker, so he's gonna stand directly in front of his flow, a uh, bit of a stationary target. Uh it's so funny because the more decorated they are in, kick, in Muay Thai or kickboxing, the, I feel like they have to like unlearn some mistakes. That if you come straight without a striking background, you actually almost have a little bit of it. No, like don't take that for granted. Salt like there's still timing. Oh, there's- dude, look at Loma Lagumi's fights in Invicta in her first couple in the UFC versus how she fights now. I totally agree with you. Yeah, but yeah. like like one big thing is defense. Like the defense of of kickboxing just the pillaring the pulling your head back straight like when you're leaning against the rope stuff like that you can't do that in MMA. Uh, and and he still does some of that he pulls his head straight back uh i don't like that he throws too many single shots i i love his step back shots though like his step back check left hook from the orthodox stance is something really nice um big kicking game he's got some quick high kicks great calf kicks he likes those even likes those john jones oblique kicks he he will wrestle. Uh, I like that for from a European. He'll he'll you know shoot on the hips. He cuts the corner really well. He's got four submission wins. Uh, Oliveira, very aggressive striker. Very unorthodox though. Throws some kind of weird angles. He's like he's a wild man out there, but crushing power. I mean he's got fifteen KOs. I mean look, you really seen his contender series knockout. I mean it is incredible. He he hit the guy freaking dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the negatives with that is he tends to load up on every shot. Like, he kind of gets a little telegraphed. Uh, I like his kicking, you know, like tons of kicks, uh, hard body kicks, especially with the south pole stance, good calf kicks. Uh, tries some dumb spinning attacks, does some flying attacks, which uh, they're exciting, but I don't think they're effective. Also, defense is second for him. I mean, it's, he, he's coming forward throwing bombs. He's not thinking about, you know, blocking and, and, and avoiding shots. I haven't seen too much of his wrestling. Uh, well, I'll say this. He, he's not great at wrestling, but what I've seen, he, he's got some takedowns. He's got two subs on his record. But, you know, he's not this power. Like, <laughs> he, he ain't winning Pennsylvania State Championship. I know that for sure. No. Um, but his takedown defense is solid, you know. Uh, I think this is another great matchup right out the gate. Like, I, I like both guys. Like, like you know, I guess if I think they're top 15 guys in Bantam, like, no, they're not top 15, but – I, I do think they're good additions. I think they both can stick around in UFC for, for a while. I think Gamori is the more well-rounded fighter. 
if he can weather an early storm for Oliveira, I do favor him moving like deeper in the fight because of Oliveira's style. Like I haven't seen him slow down. I haven't seen him really gas. I just I've seen that style a lot, and just nature will tell me that he's gonna slow down and gas. However, I don't. I don't think he's gonna. I think. I mean, I love this the power of Oliveira. I think Oliveira's gonna come out a very aggressive. I think he's gonna land a big shot. I'm gonna say he does what he does, and I'm gonna say he knocks him out in the very first round. Give me Oliveira by first round knockout. I, I like the call there. I, I don't like. You know, you mentioned earlier on on the show that you kind of write down who your first impression is before study that you think will win, and then you know go and see if, if you're going to prove yourself wrong. I mean, I didn't actually write it down, but I went into this thinking, oh man, off the cuff, I, I think Gamori might take this. More polished striker, definitely more well-rounded. He hasn't flashed much of his ground game in recent fights, but you look back uh, a little bit to when he was actually racking up those submissions. I mean, technically he has more submissions than he has uh, knockouts, and they weren't complete jumps. He was showing actual, you know, decent fundamentals on the ground he he can clearly take care of himself there and i thought oh, you know what i might be going for the the mild upset here but looking at a fight with gomez uh looking at his last few fights in brave cf you mentioned bad muay thai slash bad kickboxing habits that cross over to mma he falls victim a little bit to the muay thai you strike then it's my turn to strike back and forth thing and I mean, that's honestly how he lost to Gomez. It ended up in a TKO, but uh, before that happened in the third round, he was just on his way to losing a 30-27 decision because he got into that kind of fight with a guy that was taller, longer, hit harder, and he was falling behind round by round. If he obliges Oliver with that kind of fight, I'm with you. I think he's going to get caught with something and hurt real bad early on either hurt bad enough that he has a huge hold to dig out of and can't like he loses the first two rounds or he has a 10-8 round or like you say he just gets knocked out yeah i mean much as i i'd love to tell our listeners to sprinkle something on the underdog here gamori might have the greater upside in the ufc overall like if one of these guys is ranked in five years or uh, let's say three years, it's more likely Gamori, even if I'm not picking either of them to do that. But on Saturday night, I don't think Gamori's going to be ready for the onslaught from the Oliveira either. Give me the Oliveira by first round KO as well. If it goes past the first round, things get a, a little more interesting for me, but uh, I'm with you. I don't think it necessarily gets there. Next up or at least we're going to talk about it next, is a middleweight matchup between Christian Leroy Duncan and Claudio Ribeiro. Duncan, the 28-year-old Brit, is 9-1 overall. He's 2-1 since joining the UFC as the outgoing Cage Warriors middleweight champ. Uh, he has wins over Dusko Todorovic and Dennis Chalulin sandwiched around a decision loss to Armin Petrosian. Uh, all three of those fights took place last year. The most recent of those, the Tululin fight, was in November at the Allen versus Craig fight night. He'll look to make it two in a row against Hibero. Hibero, 31-year-old Brazilian, is 11-4 and four overall. He's 1-2 since joining the UFC out of Season 6 of Dana White's Contender Series. He fought most recently uh, in July at UFC 291, getting head kicked by Roman Kopolov early in the second round. Odds on this one, I mentioned earlier that 
between here and the main event, we have a string of pretty wide lines. They start here. Duncan is minus 260, Hibero plus 210. So on consecutive weeks, we've had the two British Chris Duncans in the UFC fighting back-to-back. This is Christian Leroy Duncan, the the bigger and uh, the one with the more names. Uh, Keith, they've done the best they possibly can to give this guy a chance to shine. I mean, three fights in the UFC, Dusko Todorovic, Armin Petrosian, D- Dennis Tululin, they all have something in common. They are all fellow strikers, and none of them is a world beater. I mean, they put him in fights where – <clears throat> he has every chance to show what he can do. The UFC, sure. I mean, obviously, they, they they want knockout artists and exciting fighters above anything else. A tiebreaker is, oh, if we can get uh, a Brit who's good on the mic, there's almost a built-in stardom waiting for them. Sure. But in terms of the in-cage output, Duncan does not seem to be ready for prime time. I, I mean, the Dorovich fight, it's hard to tell. Todorovic suffered a weird injury early in the fight but you know Armin Petrosian just seemed like a bigger more fundamental kickboxer even if the fight was competitive Duncan's propensity for throwing spinning stuff just went nowhere and then Tululin it played out almost like Duncan fighting against maybe a slightly worse version of himself uh I haven't seen anything to indicate that Duncan is a future top 15 guy in the UFC middleweight division. And that's in a division where basically anybody's three or four wins away from being in the top 15. And he hasn't faced any of the real wrestler or grindy types yet. And there are a few of those on the way up. Uh, Tell me if he gets it done against uh, Hibero here. It's him against yet another striker. And to look at it, he seems like a guy with physical gifts who might be the least skilled of the ones he's fought so far. I mean, tell me if you think I'm wrong. Um, yeah, I mean, it's splitting hairs there. I'll start with Hibero then. Um, the one thing that stands out to me between him and, and the guys that Duncan has beaten is he's probably the hardest hitter. Now, he's not a good athlete. He's, he's flat-footed, um, but he, he's kind of a gritty kind of guy. Uh he gets to his position with a lot of hand fighting. He's a counter striker that loves to brawl. He's, you know, he's good in the pocket. Uh, his straight right is his best punch. His check left hook is also really good. He will throw a lot of looping shots and he'll load up, which kind of makes it easy to see coming. Though, but when he's pressing the action, he gets his, uh, his opponent on his back foot and he lands some big shots. I mean, he hits hard. I think he's probably the hardest hitter of the, of the group you mentioned. He's got 11 KOs. He's at eight in the first round. Uh, yes, he has power backing up, which is a rare thing. So if, if Duncan presses the action, he can walk into a big shot. Now, defensively, he's got some holes. He keeps his chin high in the air. He pulls his head straight back. He drops his hands. He's been cracked a lot. I mean, uh, Abdul uh, Razak Al-Hassan knocked him out. Uh, um, Roman Coppola blasted him, yeah. Uh, but to his credit, when he, even though he gets hit a lot, you know, those guys blasted him, but like, he's been hit a lot in fights. He keeps coming. Uh, he's got some mean calf kicks, although he'll throw him naked. He hardly ever wrestles, but he, against Joseph Holmes, he, he wrestled a lot, which was really surprising. And, and, and looked like he's improved his ground game. Pretty solid takedown defense. Um, his cardio is actually a strength for a guy who fights that way. It's really surprising that he, he, he can go hard. Uh, Leroy Duncan, the thing that stands out to me is how big he is. He's a big guy for the weight class. He's very athletic. He moves well. He uses footwork to kind of keep the distance. 
he uses really good hand fighting also to that he uses to kind of he uses it to keep his range, uh, to kind of keep his distance. He hates being pressured though. Uh, when he lets his hands go, I mean he's he's a good boxer. He's got fast hands, accurate uh, attacks combinations. Landed some mean uppercuts in his last fight. Sets up his shots well with feints. Uh, he's got really good power. He, I like that he started landing elbows inside when his opponent kind of crashes the pocket, which is the where he Duncan doesn't want to be, but like kind of give himself when he's coming in, which is, is cool. Uh, still stands up a little too tall and he keeps his chin too high for my liking. I like his kicks, a lot of kicks, likes deep kicks. He throws out some spinning attacks, wheel kicks, and back fists. Not not too great. Uh, not much of an offensive grappler, but he's hard to take down too. So they're, they're kind of similar in that sense, where I, uh, you know, more. Their wrestling is more defensively. So this comes down to Duncan's speed versus Haberio's power. Uh, I'm going to disagree with... I agree with Duncan is is a long ways away, but I definitely... I, I think I view him as a future top 15 guy. Uh, I I like him here. I, I think I think both mo- guys will have their moments, but Duncan, is to me, is too fast. He's too clean. I think his kicks could also be an issue. I... I'm I'm gonna say he has that that big moment. I think he's gonna kind of have a breakout party. I, I thought he looked good in his last fight, so I say he lands up and I'll see he does like second round. Give me Duncan by second round TKO. I I mean I I was pretty high on Duncan coming out of Cage Warriors into his debut, and it's possible that I've got one foot off the train faster than than I should have, but here's Definitely a chance for him to shine because it's four fighters in a row that are probably going to oblige him with the stand-up battle. And this one is one that, yeah, he has dangerous offensive tools, but he has obvious defensive liabilities that if Duncan is on his game, he should be able to take advantage of. Uh, You mentioned that Al-Hassan and Kopalov both took advantage of Hibero's lack of, of head movements. That's something that if Duncan is not screwing around, he he should get something for his highlight reel here. And I'm picking him uh, to win by knockout as well. And obviously both of his UFC losses have been by knockout early in the second round after, you know, pretty wild back and forth first round. So uh, guys are figuring him out. Duncan should be uh, yet another one to do that. So yeah, uh, Duncan by second round knockout for me as well. What I'd love to see from him that what would really kind of restore his prospect cachet is is if he has a methodical first round where he doesn't put his chin in the line of fire too badly because he better has basically one way to win this fight and it's with a massive right hand. He hits hard with both hands, but uh, you know, you look at his highlight reel, there's a a lot of right hand knockouts on there. If, If Duncan can avoid even spots where he's in peril of that, that, you know, matters to me almost as much as the W here. But, yeah, make it two for Duncan to win by second round KO. Next up, the uh, another of what feels like a half dozen men's bantamweight fights on this card. And considering that the two flyweight uh, bouts have Matt Schnell and Alex Perez in them, we may end up with even more bantamweight fights than that by the time weigh-ins day is over. This one is Eamon Zahabi versus Javid Basharat. Zahabi, the 36-year-old Canadian, is 10-2 overall. He's 4-2 in the UFC. He's on a three-fight win streak, believe it or not. He lost back-to-back fights, ending almost 
five years ago. Since then, he has back-to-back-to-back wins over Draco Rodriguez, Ricky Tercios, and Alrici Lang. That's the good news. The bad news is that those fights have come in three separate calendar years. Uh, Zahabi just celebrated his seventh anniversary of being in the UFC, and this is his seventh fight in that time. So he is literally a one-fight-per-year fighter. That's not great news in the Bantamweight division. But nonetheless, he'll be looking to make it his fourth win in a row here against Basharat. Uh, Basharat, 28-year-old uh, Afghanistani fighting out of London, is 14-0 with one no contest overall. He's 3-0 with one no contest uh, since coming to the UFC out of Season 5 of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he fought most recently back in October at UFC 294, where his fight with Victor Henry ended early in the second round off of one of the most hellacious groin kicks you're ever likely to see. It ended in ugliness as the it, it was a really disgraceful scene. The uh, the referee essentially called Henry a liar. The or no, sorry, the cage side doctor called Henry a liar for saying that it had caught him in, in the cup. He yeah. responded very co- colorfully that it had been all the contents of his cup. <laughs> Basharat did not help himself by accusing. Henry of basically quitting. Yeah, ugly scene. They never remade that fight. Both men have gone on to what comes next for them. And what's next for Basharat is to keep his technically undefeated record that way uh, at the expense of Zahabi. He is a massive favorite to do so. Basharat minus 600, Zahabi plus 400. I think Henry's still laying in the cage right now. They still call him a favorite. It was all dick and balls, man. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible, dude. Javid Basharat, the the 135-pound division, we say it every week. If you ask me if Fighter X is a future top 15 fighter, I'm saying no almost by default. But the Basharat brothers, even if he's slightly the worst Basharat brother, they're both really, really good. Yeah, Uh, that's splitting hairs too. Yeah, should this guy be a minus 600 favorite over Raymond Zahabi? What's this fight look like? Ooh, you got. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to ask me which which Bastard brother I think is better. I, I mean, I, they're both freaking fantastic. Um, so no, it is splitting hairs. Like uh, Fareed being slightly yeah. younger, slightly yeah. taller. Yeah, you know, steak, steak and lobster to me, man. Like it's. Yeah. Like, I'm, not, I'm not complaining about either. Yeah. Uh, this this is a really really um, good fight. I mean, yeah, you said it. You know, we normally get asked about bantamweights, and it's always like that division is too stacked. Like. The Bachelor Brothers could be champions. <laughs> you know, we could we could have a Sterling Marab type situation where or one of them has to leave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he he's he's a well-rounded fighter. I mean, really good striker. Moves well. Can fight out of both stances. Uh, very relaxed in his striking. Calculated with his shots. Good vision. Accurate. Not a lot of tells in his strikes. Uh, attacks with combinations. Though at times he can be a little too patient and not throw enough. Uh, I, I love that his footwork, he, he changes stances in mid-combination to get a better angle. Fast hands, quick jab, good at sliding in and out of range and landing shots before being countered. Uh, he's also good at hand fighting and using it to get you know around his opponent's attacks. I love that he works the body. Uh, he's He's got some power too. He can, he can crack a little bit. Good kicking game. I like his teep kicks up the middle. Mean calf kicks. He also checks leg kicks. Uh, I mean, I go back to 
probably his best win was uh, the Tony uh, Gravely fight where he was stepping in and, and landing some knees. Uh, he does need to clean up his defense a little bit. He kind of carries his hands a little too low, backs straight up on the center line, keeps his chin too high in the air. Uh, I, I like his wrestling. I mean, the guy took down Tony Gravely, who's known for his wrestling, uh, but he's not he's not your traditional type wrestler. He's good at kind of creating a scramble and, and winning like a funk thing. Uh, I, I like that he that he'll catch kicks to get the fight to the ground. Uh, he also showed against Gravely good takedown offense on top, smothering top control. Uh, does advance position on the ground, has strong ground pounding. He's got six subs and strong cardio, like not many holes in this game. <clears throat> Zahabi, this dude's got like the quietest three-fight winning streak in the UFC. Um, uh, you know, kind of this late burst in his career that uh, I don't think many people saw coming. Uh, pretty technical sound striker, though he can be low output. Uh, his boxing, you know, is pretty standard boxing, though, like I said, he throws too many single strikes. Uh, very, you know, tri-star type guy, works behind a jab, wants to find a slower pace. Uh, he'll follow up his strikes with, with straight shots down the pipe. He showed against Drake Rodriguez some, some power. Uh, he does keep his head a little too high and lacks head movement, which I don't like. Uh, he has a good kicking game, but again, doesn't throw them enough. Hit, uh, though I think his calf kicks might be the best part of his game when he when he kicks. Uh, he can grapple. Uh, he loves to kind of work in the clinch, look for knees and elbows inside there, and then, then when his opponent starts to strike back, then drop on the hips. Uh, but he isn't like a traditional powerful wrestler. Like Jordan Morrow's blasting through you with a double. That's not that's not his game. Uh, weaker defensive wrestler, though he's, he's pretty good at winning scrambles or just kind of scrambling back to his feet. And he has a submission threat, so... Uh, I mean, this is a this is a nice run that Zahabi's been on, but dude's thirty six. Bashrat's better than him everywhere. I mean, he's a way better athlete. He's way faster, better striker, leaps and bounds better in the wrestling. I think Bashrat makes up the striking and in, in the wrestling well. I think he controls the majority of the fight from being on top on the ground. Give me Bashrat with a with a clear easy decision. Yeah, I <clears throat> I. I like the breakdown there Zahabi I had a different scouting report on him a few years ago like after a couple fights in the UFC my thought was okay for the younger brother of Faraz Zahabi a guy that is either praised or maligned for allegedly turning great fighters into safe fighters it's like you know we're talking about the guy that really turn George St. Pierre into late career George St. Pierre, where it was just the formulaic jab, jab, Superman punch, hit a knee tap in the last minute of the round, don't advance position, 10-9, bank it. And, or, and then, uh, what's his name? Rory McDonald? Or? Yeah, then Rory McDonald went up there, went from being a, you know, kind of 22-year-old savage into being a much more... St. Pierre like fighter where jab, jab, wrestle. Especially his running like Bellator. Well, once his nose was busted, he yeah. definitely became a much more conservative fighter. Uh well, like, yeah, take I, out the Robbie Lawler fights. Yeah. Like, everyone remembers the Robbie Lawler. They don't remember a lot of his boring, slow decisions. Mm-hmm. BJ Penn, like uh, uh Nate Diaz where he yeah. just kind of threw them all around the cage and didn't do much with it other than win the rounds. Uh, f- for the younger brother of that coach, 
I always thought he had a little bit of a wild streak in him. I assumed he was a guy that, you know, they went home for Canadian Thanksgiving and mom was like, why can't you be more like Faraz? Why are you, know, why are you so crazy? I no longer feel that way. He is settled into being very much uh, a fighter made in his brother slash trainer's image. It is an impressive three fight run. I mean, Draco Rodriguez, Ricky Tercios and Al Richie Lang are all pretty good fighters and be, beat all three of them. But yeah, you fight once per year. Again, I say this every week. Even if you win every single fight, if you're in a division from 135 to 170 and you're fighting once per year, even if you're literally perfect, traffic is honking and passing you on the right. Uh, so yeah, now he's a 36-year-old bantamweight who's on a good little run and the UFC is rewarding him by handing him, at worst, one of the three top prospects in the division. When there's a fighter that's this big a favorite, like, five to one or greater, I start from the opposite side. I'm like, okay, if the underdog wins, what does it look like? And there are some fights where there's a huge line, but there are obvious routes to victory for the underdog. Maybe the, you know, maybe the favorite is a massive favorite, but they have a questionable gas tank. Or maybe there's one thing that the underdog does much, much better than, uh, than the favorite. Here, there's none of that. Like, Basharat isn't known for huge defensive blunders. And even if he was Zahabi, I mean, he's shown improved power, but he's not the kind of guy that's just going to make him pay for that in, in an instant. And Basharat isn't the type of fighter who is going to leave individual rounds closer than they need to be so that one night of weirdness for two judges and all of a sudden you have a massive upset. Like none of, like none of the usual routes to a huge upset show themselves here. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not much of a better. If I were, I, I wouldn't be sticking my money out on minus 600 favorites anyway, but this feels about as airtight as anything does in MMA. I, I'm with you. If Basharat hurts Zahabi early and or really turns on the Jets, I could see him getting a finish here. Uh, you know, Zahabi has been clocked and finished by lesser fighters than Basharat, but the safer and more likely pick is that Basharat just wins a really one-sided decision. I'm with you on that one. Basharat, 3027 and if not 3026 i was uh listening to you talk about you know not all winning streaks are the same because of you know time you kind of like you said in the, in the slowly get past <laughs> and it reminds me of the bash soccer again <clears throat> the, the dumbest argument like again soccer is the most popular sport in the world i get it like you're the best got it but like when soccer fans go Dude, I watch the NFL game. Dude, do you know the NFL players like if you time all the running and everything? It's they run for like seven minutes, or whatever, whatever stupid stat they come up with. Yeah. And it's like it's it's like when yeah, you know soccer. Let's be honest. They they're like, oh, we play for ninety minutes, but do you really? No, you like ninety nine percent of the time you're slow jogging. The one guy with the ball is kind of running. The guy defending him is running, and like maybe two other guys close to him. And the rest of them are slowly jogging up and down. It's like, it's like the fat chick walking on the treadmill at the gym and looking at the big muscle guy pounding on on on, on the bench and going, "Yeah, yeah what, what the guy what was that twenty seconds here? I've been walking for I've been walking for twenty minutes. <laughs> like the NFL's a full sprint. Every, like there's like full sprint. Okay, then we take a break. We full sprint again. Then we take a break. We full sprint again. Like. It's two different exercises, guys. Like stop attending, stop attending like you guys are sprinting for ninety minutes. It's not happening. It's like it's like it, it's, it's in European right now going, you know, you know, wrestling's not hard. NCW wrestling, they only they only wrestle for seven seven minutes. How, how, how could you be? It's only seven minutes. 
Hardest seven minutes of your life, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, that's it. I, I, I messed up your beans enough. <laughs> Next up, or at least the next fight we're going to talk about, since we still are not sure where the UFC is going to place it on the card, is the rescheduled bout between Raul Rosas Jr. and Ricky Tercios. The two had been scheduled to fight at UFC Mexico in a Bantamweight main card attraction. They made it all the way through weigh-ins day, and on the actual day of the fight, Rosas Jr. fell ill. The fight was pushed back to Las Vegas and to this weekend, and pushed up to 140-pound catchweight. We obviously previewed this during the UFC Mexico preview before we uh, put it on. uh, The line has tightened up a bit. When we talked about this a week ago, uh, Rosas Jr. was around minus 275 or minus 280. Tercio's coming back around 225, 230. That's tightened up a bit, uh, maybe because Rosas Jr. was the one who withdrew. He's now out there around minus 240. Tercio's around plus 200. Uh, Normally, this is the point where I ask Keith if anything has changed in his take on the fight in the one week or 10 weeks since we uh, uh, previewed it last. I'm going to jump in here and say that my pick is, has changed. Uh, when we previewed this one, to my shame, I picked the non-Texas fighter over the Texas fighter. and But even at the time, I said I thought it was a razor-close thing. The way this fight got rescheduled gives me pause when thinking about Rosas Jr. Now, no real reason was ever given officially. They just said illness. But a couple of, you know, the the rumors came out from backstage that he described it as altitude sickness. (laughs) Is that a real thing? It, it's definitely a real thing. You like, grew up in you, the of like Utah and everything. So I, and I, well, and even when I was growing up on the East Coast, uh, I had an uncle that lived in Dillon, Colorado, which is up in ski resort country. It's at like ten thousand feet. And when I'd go out and visit them, like the whole first day, okay. I wouldn't just be like lightheaded. I'd be like throwing up and stuff, like actually ill. But, I think you say, say when I grew up on the East Coast, my my uncle in Colorado, I was like, dude, Colorado's not the East Coast. <laughs> when I was growing up, but that, and again, this is pure conjecture on my part. None of so this is coming from Rosas Jr. Is that the real Rocky Mountain High? Is that what it is? Yeah, this, the, the real Rocky Mountain High, high is lack of oxygen. That's the high part. Uh, I I think, and he may have he he may not have felt his best. He had a hard weight cut at altitude, but. Maybe one of his handlers saw coming down the pike. Tercios had less of a weight cut. He's a wild man. He has outstanding cardio. He's he's going to grind our dude out. I, I think they come back down to Vegas. Yeah, it's only 140 this time. Rosas is still going to have to cut more weight to get there than, than Tercios. I, I, I'm predicting the fight the exact same way I did a week ago. Just thinking Tercios wins two out of the three rounds instead of Rosas Jr. The first round will be the toughest one for Tercios because while he's fresh, Raul Rosas is probably more dangerous everywhere and he's big and strong. Like if if he busts up Tercios on the feet in the first round, it wouldn't shock me. If he has Tercios in a world of trouble on the ground in the first round, that wouldn't shock me either. But if Tercios gets through that, I think he starts rolling downhill. So I'm changing my pick. 
Kimmy Tercios to take probably the second and third rounds and pick up, well, he, he's still a two to one underdog, pick up the pretty significant upset here. Yeah, I'll say this, and, and I'm assuming you got to put the clip of the, the breakdown. Yeah, absolutely. I picked, yeah. Yeah, I picked Tercios. Uh, a week ago, uh, one big thing I said about was the altitude that I that I was worried about. Uh, Rojas, who's gassed in the past, the way Tercios fights, kind of the same thing you said, like whether the early storm, I thought ter- that Tercios would win the last two rounds. It's weird because I may have moved a little bit. I'm not taking Rojas. I'm sticking with my pick. But being that it's not going to be an altitude now makes me, you know, a little bit more confident in – in his gas take. But that said, I think a second weight cut is definitely uh, a disadvantage for, I mean, Rojas is a bigger guy, you know, it's 140. So the extra five pounds is better, but still like, I'm sure he balloons up to probably at least 150. So he's still, Oh, Oh, absolutely. So to cut down again, give me the guy who's done it time and time again, cutting weight. And yeah, I mean, how much, I mean, I don't know how long illness like that survives and, uh, you know, messing up your schedule, you know, that changes everything. Give you the guy who's probably had fights on four or five days notice, didn't get warm-ups and stuff. So I, I do, I'm not, I mean, I wasn't that confident to take Tercios taking out like, I think it was like a three to one end up when I picked him. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm actually even more intrigued now with with the fallout and everything. So I'm excited for this one. It's definitely interesting. Uh, I should offer up a disclaimer in the interest of full disclosure. I've always been very upfront about my blatant favoritism for Houston-based fighters, even if I'm, I am giving you my, my best honest analysis on them. At this point, I literally train at, at Ricky's gym. So t- take that. definitely don't base your your uh bets just off of what i say (laughs) i I didn't realize you were training there yeah yeah i've been uh training at uh alex morono's you know gracie baja woodlands for a a little while now uh and he won't be there is this this a ufc uh 300 fight that hasn't been announced yet ben duffy's (laughs) debut (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I just need I, I just need to you know cut about eighty pounds. Like now, <laughs> what are you doing? Are you doing jiu-jitsu? Or are you doing like full stand? Like, uh, I'm start, starting uh, with, with jujitsu. Probably you know start picking up Muay Thai as well. You know once I get in, back in a little better shape. But yeah, hey, we need, don't get beat up though. We need your face for these podcasts, man. Oh man, I last <laughs> Thursday, man, I got triangled so hard by one of. Uh, Alex's purple belts. The blood came shooting out of my nose, and yes. I was in his guard. So when I got up, it looked like somebody just shot him. <laughs> it was it was bad. <laughs> All right, sit tight for uh, last week's breakdown. The UFC Mexico main card powers on with a bantamweight matchup between teenage phenom Raul Rosas Jr. and Ricky Tercios. Rosas, the now 19-year-old, is 8-1 and one overall. He's 2-1 and one since joining the UFC out of uh, season six of Dana White's Contender Series. He won his last time out knocked out Terrence Mitchell in under a minute at Noche UFC last September. That allowed him to bounce back from his first career loss, which took place at UFC 287 last April, where he was outlasted and kind of just outfought to a righteous unanimous decision loss by Christian Rodriguez. Uh, He'll try to make it two in a row and reestablish himself as uh, someone to watch for the next decade in the UFC at the expense of uh, Tercios. 
Tercios, 30-year-old uh, Houston native. He's 12-3 and three overall. He is also 2-1 and one since uh, trying every which way to get into the UFC. He fought on the very first episode of Dana White's Contender Series. It may have been the first fight because the guy that beat him, Boston Salmon, was the first fighter ever signed out of Dana White's Contender Series. So, yeah, he was there for the very first episode of the Contender Series. Uh, he's, of course, the winner of Tough 29. He also was a high-level contender in, in Fury. Uh, while he is not Mexican, uh, he is uh, El Salvadoran on one side, I think Filipino on the other, fluent in Spanish. If he wins and gets uh, on the mic afterwards, believe me, they're going to love him. Uh, but the odds makers do not favor him to be getting on the mic afterwards as Raul Rosas Jr. is a prohibitive favorite. He's minus 275, Tercios uh, plus 220 on the comeback. I love Ricky Tercios. I know him personally. I think he's an absolutely delightful dude. He's a hell of a lot of fun to watch as a fighter. He is ideal as a foil for our Rosas Jr. Because, I mean, if Rosas wins this, this is his best UFC win so far. Tercios is a tough winner. He's a guy above 500 in the same division. The problem is, Tercios, to me, is a, li a little bit like a Bantamweight... Patty Pimblet, where his best feature is his ground game. And it's not, a, it's not a lights out ground game. We're not talking about Abu Dhabi Ricky here, but you know, he's a long, lanky, tricky, scrambly guy. Who's a better wrestler than you think he is. And uh, uh, just a good grappler. Um, that's, that's really his best skill set, but he just wants to be in fun fights and engages in wild brawls on the feet to his detriment. Uh, that's bad news uh, against a guy like Raul Rosas Jr., I think. Uh, Raul Rosas Jr., obviously, he's, uh, he's a prodigy on the ground, but his striking game is developing, and it seems to be developing quickly. Uh, he has good physical tools for it. He is a big bantamweight. I don't know if he's still going to be making bantamweight when he's 25 or 28 years old. He's a big bantamweight, not just in terms of height and wingspan, but got muscle on his frame. Like, you know, we joke about, him like missing his high school prom to fight in the UFC and stuff. But if you saw a dude that looked like this walking down the halls of your high school, you'd be a little intimidated. Like, like uh, I, I just, I like this for Rosas wherever this goes. Like if they, if they stay on the feet, Rosas hits harder. He's not defensively perfect, but he's a more disciplined striker than Tercios is. If it goes to the ground, Tercios is a little more freewheeling and scrambly where Rosas is going to be bigger, more positionally sound. I, it's hard for me to see like plausible routes to victory for my guy, Ricky here, because even the great equalizer that we've mentioned in almost every fight, the, the, the 7,000 foot thing. Yeah. Like Tercios has been training at altitude for a while, but <clears throat> he has decent three round cardio. We we've, not really seen too much reason to be concerned about Raul Rosas Jr.'s cardio. I mean, he got tired in the Christian Rodriguez fight, but I, I, I think he would have lost that fight anyway, even if he were like fresh in the, in the third. Give me Raul Rosas Jr. to get a pretty one-sided decision here over Ricky Tercios, where he kind of gets the better of it everywhere. Yeah, so I just uh, looked up what was the first Dana White Contender Series fight. Yeah, it just had me curious. It was uh, it, the, that was on the card. That wasn't the very first fight. The very first fight was Joby Sanchez versus Manny Vasquez. With Joby Sanchez, wow. you know, you know, his decision. But 
Um, <laughs> I, while you were previewing this, I was thinking about um, Rojas, you know, being dude's just now 19. He's fighting his fourth fight in the UFC. He's 19, you know, which is, which is absurd. He is, he's going to blow up all, all the records for number of fights by this birthday or that birthday. Like we're oh, thinking, you, yeah. thinking your, your Sage yeah. North cuts, your Macy Barber's, yeah, as long as he Jones's, yeah. Yeah, as long as he doesn't fit, you know, get some serious injury where he's out for a year and a half or something like that. But yeah, if he stays somewhat healthy, he's fighting two or three times a year, yeah. Um, and and what keeps winning, he doesn't get cut or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's funny, I was watching the there was like a press conference for guys that fight on UFC 300, and they were asking Jim Miller about UFC 400 making a joke. Raul Rosas could actually really fight on UFC 400 one day. Oh, easily. And it's it, it's going like, to be like six or seven years from now. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he'd be like 20 seconds. Like, he could fight on UFC 500. Like, I'm not betting on that, but it's it's not of the realm of possibility. You know, um, yeah, he now at that point he'd be probably is early 37, 30s. 30. Oh, I think he wouldn't, is. he wouldn't be. The UFC does 12 or 13 numbered pay per views a year, they're going to be six or seven years apart. Oh, 200 so four, 14 years from now, he'll be 33. Jeez. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. You could, yeah, who knows, maybe as a Jim Miller Craig, he can fight at UFC 600. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of, I mean, the dude's 19. So I mean, it, every time I, you break down this guy, you have to put that like star, like he's just becoming a man now. Now, mm -hmm. I, again, I went on this rant last time that I understand that like 17 year olds, like storm the beaches of Normandy. Like, yeah, I, I understand that. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but he's, he's at an age where who knows his life is just starting we could see a completely different person than we've seen in his last three fights. Uh, what I've liked about him, he's, he's got fast hands. He's a pretty strong guy who hasn't even reached his strength years. He he showed in his last fight that he seems like he's coming into his power. Now, he needs to improve his striking. His, his technique is still very raw. Uh, but he has good volume. He can fight out of both stances. He will swing wildly. Um, his volume dropped greatly in the Christian Rodriguez fight. Uh, he throws a lot of kicks, but they're kind of ineffective. He likes flying attacks, Superman punches, knees, kind of like, you know, it's kind of a way to like close a distance without, you know, a little quicker. He can wrestle, but he struggled to take Christian Rodriguez down. If he gets on top, he's got good top game, advances position on the ground. He's, he's a good BJJ practitioner, mean back takes, uh, mean ground and pound. He has a submission artist. He's got five subs. He almost got a Sula stretch in, in one of his UFC bouts. He he does chase submissions that aren't there though in loose position. Uh, he also isn't a good defensive wrestler, but the biggest concern is one as you mentioned his size. Like I'm always worried about the weight cut for this guy because he's still growing. He's 19, <laughs> you know. I mean, would it be that shocking if when he's 26 years old he is a jacked lightweight? No, like he's not going to get too much taller, but he's got the frame that he can yeah. carry more muscle easily. No, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um. But the biggest concern is with you know the weight class and everything and his age and what we've seen against Christian Rodriguez, him gassing out. Like he gassed bad in that fight. Mm -hmm. Uh Turkios, 
I'm gonna. You said his best part of his game is his his ground game. I'm gonna disagree with that. Okay. I'm not saying his striking is the best part of the game, but his pressure is. I mean, okay. he wins solely on volume. He's a very unorthodox striker, constantly switching stances, herky jerky kind of type fighter who at times would just hold his ground instead of allowing his opponent to step back. Um, but then he had like weird fight. He was like clapping at his opponents and not doing, you know, wasting volume. But like, I'm talking about when he was on the ultimate fight show where he had his like best performance, the best run of his career. He was just beating guys with volume. Opponents have a hard time picking up his striking due to all the crazy things he do. The way he moves is kind of crazy. It's, you know, unusual. It takes them a little bit of time. Uh, he does a lot of up and down feints, which you don't see. I think his hands are, you know, somewhat quick. Uh, he attacks with combinations. His check right hook from the southpaw stance is kind of his best strike. He blends punches and kicks together well. He loves throwing down in the pocket for a brawl. Um, he kind of trusts his chin too much. I think, like you said, it's also some, what you said, trying to get a bonus, to entertain the crowd, uh, which is n- not a good idea if you're the less skilled fighter. But he's, to his credit, he's got a chin. I mean, go back to the Danny Ortega fight. Ortega was teeing off on him and he was eating fights he's a guy when he gets rocked he doesn't back forward he actually reacts by moving forward and pressing the action even more uh he can land takedowns does pretty well like he, he's deceiving the way you look at it. you don't think he's a guy that would like blast three hips but he he will and he chained chains takedowns together well good at winning scrambles good at just kind of keeping the hips moving and, and making stuff happen. But he's a weak defensive wrestler. I mean, he was taken down multiple times on the Ultimate Fighter show. He was taken down six times by Brady Heastan. He was taken down seven times by Kevin Natividad in that last fight. Uh, he's a submission threat off his back. Very active at tossing up submissions. Uh, he also has, uh, he also has like, uses subs to kind of create space to try to get on top. Uh, best strength is cardio, and, and cardio is to him is one of these guys that's just, it's a tool if if Rojas takes him down and, and works him on top, you know, that that is the best avenue of victory, I think, for Rojas, even though he has a striking advantage. But being on top, using his size, I, I think it'd be really good for him. I'm not very high on Tercios, and I want Rojas to be good. He, he obviously, of the two fighters, has a way much up, you know, way bigger upside of, of these two guys. I think he batters Tercios early on the feet, maybe from the top position. But you know what? I keep thinking about that gas tank, and I haven't seen it fixed yet. I'm going to go the opposite, man. I'm going to go with an up, big upset. I think Tercios going to weather the storm. I think he's going to take over. I think it's going to be one of these like veteran victories where that veteran dog is still in the fight and still hanging on. Is it like, like a Gerald Mershot type fight or Darren Elkins type fight where he's the less skilled fighter, but he's crafty and he's Pressing a 19-year-old and beat him the mental game. And I think the volume basically gasses Horas on and, and Tercios starts winning the second round, starts winning the third. I guess he even see like a late submission for him. But uh, I'll I'll say I'll say Rojas makes it to the decision, but he drops the last two rounds and loses. Uh I'll say really close. I'll say a split decision loss. Uh, give me Tercios by split decision. Next up is a scheduled flyweight clash between Matt Schnell and Steve Ursag. Schnell, the 34-year-old from Louisiana fighting out of Texas, is 16-7 and seven with one no contest overall. He is 6-5 and five with one no contest since joining the UFC out of the 24th season of The Ultimate Fighter. He did lose his last time out, and worse yet, that was well over a year ago. 
as uh, he fought Mateus Nicolau at UFC on ESPN, Thompson versus Holland, all the way back in December of 2022, getting knocked out in the second round. So uh, a lengthy absence, a couple of injuries, but he is back to face uh, Ursag. 28-year-old Australian, 11-1 overall, 2-0 since joining the UFC in the middle of last year. Uh, he joined to relatively little fanfare despite a long win streak in Australia, but he has back-to-back wins over David Dvorak and Alessandro Costa. The most recent of those, the Costa fight, was at UFC 295 back in November. So he is on a two-fight win streak in the UFC, a 10-fight win streak overall. He will look to extend those at Schnell's expense, and he is a big favorite to do so. Minus 310, Schnell plus 240. Okay, so obviously I had a completely wrong read on Steve Ursegg. Well, no, that's not true. I had the right read on Steve Ursegg. He's a crafty, overachieving grappler without much apparent athleticism, but decent size for the division. I just grossly underestimated how much success he would have against UFC-level flyweights with that skill set. Like, I look at that line, Ursegg minus 310, Schnell plus 240, and I'm like, oh, the disrespect. If this had been... If this had been Ursegg's debut, like if you if they fought last June and this was Ursegg's first fight in the UFC and Schnell was coming off of, you know, alternating wins and losses, but against top 10 guys, Schnell would have been a minus 300 favorite. Absolutely. The problem is the long layoff for Schnell and that Ursegg has shown that he can hang. Matt Schnell at this point, he feels like, well, it feels like an, another flyweight. It feels kind of like Ian McCall, where when he's in the cage, and he's healthy. He can hang with the best, but he misses. Just this unlucky guy. He misses weight. They miss weight. Somebody fails a drug test. He gets injured and has to cancel a fight or multiple fights. Schnell at this point, he's he's just turned thirty four, and he's already turning into the kind of guy they use as a test for new up and comers, like the UFC. I'm sure they change their mind if he won a couple in a row, but the UFC clearly sees him now as a gatekeeper slash proving ground for promising newcomers. And it's kind of a bummer. Schnell was a lot of fun to watch fight. And again, just bad luck. Who's he lost to in the UFC? Aside from like Bantamweights coming straight out of tough, like losing to Rob Font seven years ago, I I don't count. But at flyweight, he's lost to Alessandro Pantoja, Brandon Royval. So those are probably your number one and number two flyweights yeah. in the world right now and Matthias Nicolau who's in the top 10 yeah and he has a couple of decent yeah he has a couple of decent wins but just even his fight against Rodrigo Bontarine down here in Houston a couple of years ago like Bontarine missed weight won a competitive decision over Schnell and then tested positive for drugs so it got uh turned into a no contest but yeah that I mean who knows if he even would have won if he'd actually made weight and or not been using uh, diuretics, just a rough, a rough run for Schnell. If I had any guarantee that he was the same guy he was in 2022, I think this is a great fight, but considering what Ursegg has been doing, just grinding out these, these wins with surprisingly tricky I'm going to call it wrestling. It's what he uses to get the fight to the ground. I mean, he's he's not shooting cannonball blast doubles from from halfway across the cage, but he's proven able to get 
strong athletic flyweights down to the ground. He's proven to be able to take care of himself well on the well enough on the feet that he's not this like Ryan Hall type who's just completely hapless and, unless he can hit an Imanari roll or something. And still just 28, even if he looks 38. Yeah, like I, I'm coming around to believe conservatively in Steve Urseg as a guy who's probably going to string together enough wins to at least get a top 15 type opponent and prove he belongs up there. And Schnell, I think, is just going to be the next test there. And on top of everything else, Schnell himself being a guy with a tough weight cut who has shown gas tank and durability issues that are probably related to that weight cut. And then 15 months off, Urseg is the guy that's probably going to be getting stronger from round to round as it goes along. So give me Schnell to lose here. Give me Urseg to win a decision where he might even win the first round. And if he does, he probably wins all three rounds. And he's the one gaining momentum as the fight goes along. Uh, if you're a Matt Schnell fan, then it's probably going to be a bit of a depressing night. Uh, if if you like Astro Boy, it's going to be a night to celebrate. But yeah, give me Urseg by a convincing, if not commanding decision. Wow. Yeah, this was fire. Um, I feel like it's way off, man. I, I, I was very surprised by it. Like, not that Urseg is the favorite, but like you said about Snell, I man, this guy's getting dissed. I mean, he's only lost the studs. So, yeah. and he's beaten some pretty good guys himself. Like, I, I, I expect this to be like a pick em. So, um, I mean, Snell, he, 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 he's been so inactive that it's really hard, like, looking at notes and, and to kind of know what we're going to get. But when he fights, I mean, he, he's a very aggressive striker, pressure striker, high volume, uh, uses a lot of feints to set up his power shots. He loves to get in the pocket and unload big shots. I mean, he loves a he, I mean, if he can slug it out, I mean, he's got really good power. I mean, he's hurt Bontarine, Pant- he hurt Pantoja, uh, hurt Nam. But you got to be worried about his chin because he's been blasted a lot in the past. I mean, he was knocked out by Pantoja. He was almost knocked out by Brandon Rival before getting subbed. He was just knocked out by Matthias Nicolau in his last fight. Uh, you mentioned his grappling. Uh, he's a good grappler. I mean, he's got eight subs. I mean, he's, he's a very op- opportunistic grappler. Like, he loves head attacks. He's got Darcy. He's got guillotines uh if you put him on his back he will look for subs but like you mentioned he was uh subbed by brandon rival ursag he's a really big guy for the weight class um he's a boxer doesn't have the quickest hands but he but he can crack uh he is hittable though he stands con- with his chin high in the air doesn't move his head enough uh, i like his kick in the game uh those kicks are all ears the body though uh, he will throw some naked kicks He's a really good grappler, very good timing on his takedowns. I mean, go back to, like, David Dvorak fight. Yeah, he came in that fight as a pretty sizable underdog. Uh, he took Dvorak deck, who's also a really big flyweight, took him down three times. Good BJJ practitioner, has six subs on his record. Uh, yeah, I mean, this I, – I, like I said, I think this should be a pick Um Snell has faced a better overall competition – that said, he's had so many injuries and trust issues, and if he, I, he's gonna want to brawl it out, and and I mean, he could land a big shot if he does. I'm just gonna say it's gonna go the other way. I think Ursa is gonna catch now. I just I don't trust his chin anymore. Um, Ursa by second round TKO. Um, I'm, I'm gonna say he has a big moment. That said, like like every week, you know, there's only so many hours in the week when we're, we get to do tape study, really dig in. 
this is the one fight that I, I really felt like, you know, I try to cover all my bases and then kind of go back and dig in more. This is the one fight if I had more time, I probably would have went in deeper on Ursag and Snell to see, if, you know, if there's something I was missing. So uh, I don't have a lot of, even though I'm taking Ursag, I don't have a lot of confidence. Like, if you want to sprinkle something on Endog, I don't mind, I don't mind Snell. Snell can crack. He's a good opportunity to grappler. He's faced good competition. This is probably a step down. You know, I like Ursag. This is probably a step down in competition to the guys he's been facing lately. Yeah. I, I mean, it's definitely going to be a different look physically than Matthias Nicolau and Alessandro Pantoja. <laughs> Next up, we have a men's bantamweight matchup between the undefeated Umar Nurmagomedov and the debuting Bexat Almakan. Nurmagomedov, the 28-year-old Dagestani, is a perfect 16-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. He's a perfect 4-0 since joining the UFC as a former standout in both the PFL and Fight Nights Global. He fought just once last year, and it was just over a year ago. It was at the Strickland versus Imavov Fight Nights last January, where he knocked out Hani Barcelos cold late in the first round uh, to pass his sternest test to date. He will, uh, he will look to make it five in a row in the UFC, mark himself maybe a contender rather than a rising prospect. The UFC very famously and vocally had trouble getting anyone to sign on the dotted line to fight Nurmagomedov. Eventually, they did find someone, and uh, it's a pretty intriguing get. It is 26-year-old Bexat Almakan. The man from Kazakhstan is 14-1. and one. As a professional, he's on an eight-fight win streak, uh, fought three times last year in UAE Warriors and then uh, as well in the CIS. In his most recent uh, fight, he knocked out Jan Faraz in the third round, the buzzer-beating win. Despite the man's highlight reel, despite the win streak, he comes in as one of the biggest underdogs you will see in the UFC all year as Nurmagomedov is minus 1,100, Almakan around plus 650 or so on the comeback. Oh, man, I'm really excited to have Bexad Almakan in the UFC. I will admit that until this fight was announced, I hadn't really seen anything on him. His fights, he shows a lot. One thing you got to like, and this is taking a page right out of your book, you got to love that he's just 26 and he has this many fights. And yeah. a lot of them are against solid, good competition. Um, you know, like his early, early fights were in – not great promotions in Kazakhstan, but UAE Warriors and Octagon are both good organizations, and he's been blowing through people. And not necessarily blowing through him with a bunch of 20-second knockouts. Like, he's gone to second rounds. He's gone to decision in fights where he's basically dominated things. Uh, when you look at him, if you squint a little bit, you see Piotr Jan. He's got the same kind of size and body type. His face looks a little bit like Jan's. I mean, he definitely kicks more than Jan does, but... Uh, you know, that was my initial impression when I thought of him. Big power on his strikes, uh, like great power in his hands, big kicks, a variety of kicks that he likes to throw to all levels. Um, in the fights that I watched, his ground game was not tested all that much. Just mostly people were getting obliterated on the feet and the ones who wanted to get him to the ground were unable to. And I did not see much in the way of him initiating the takedown, but I'm excited to have him in the UFC. I see him as a guy with significant upside and I'd see a chance to make a big splash in his debut. If he was fighting almost anybody other than Umar Nurmagomedov, uh, 
I'm not going to say that Nurmagomedov is the best Nurmagomedov. That's obviously Khabib, but he's probably the best one active. Uh, he's, it's not just that he's undefeated because we, we get people that are 12 and 0, 15 and 0, 16 and 0 in top level promotions all the time. And they are definitely not created equal, but Nurmagomedov, his a mixture of athleticism, good size for the division an extremely well-rounded skill set, and intelligence and game planning. It's hard not to see this guy as a future champ. Uh, his last fight a, a year ago, the Hani Barcelos fight on paper, that was his biggest test to date. Not only did he blow through Barcelos, but he blew through him in the perfect way. He started hammering him to the body early. He's like, this is an older fighter. This is one whose durability has started to go on him. It's one that has a tough weight cut. And so he starts hammering him to the body and hammering him to the body started to open things up to the head. Like that, that closing one, two, where he uh, like fakes. I think he like, yeah, he fakes a knee goes to a body kick and then nails him with a hand on the same side. Once Barcelos is like dipped with the elbow to try to defend the kick and just ices honey Barcelos gorgeous stuff. Assuming that he and his team have had enough time to do their tape study on Almacan. Almacan is not going to be adding anything to his highlight reel. Nurmagomedov has been so good so far and not only leveraging his offensive uh, gifts, but sort of nullifying what his opponents do best. Just his opponents, including some good fighters, Brian Kelleher, Nate Manis, Honey Barcelos, none of them top 15 fighters even if, you know, Barcelos was at one point, but all of them tough outs and just none of them had much in the way of, of even bright spots. That they, like there are no moral victories even against Umar Nurmagomedov. I see that for Almakan as well. Like as spectacular as his regional highlight reel has been, I think Nurmagomedov is going to be able to handle him on the feet. I think he's going to be able to get into the ground if and when he wants. And at best, Almakan's ground game is unproven. Give me Nurmagomedov to just kind of trounce Omicron, win all three rounds in pretty lopsided fashion. I think he'll probably get the better of things on the feet even. And I think if he decides to take Omicron down, he's going to be able to do work there. Uh, you know what? I'm thinking just accumulation of damage, momentum, wearing his man out. Actually, give me Nurmagomedov by, thir by third round submission here. I'm going to say he wins basically every minute of this thing, finally taps out and exhausted, beat up Almakan in the third round. None of this diminishes my excitement to have Almakan in the UFC. This is just a big, big ask for a debut. Yeah, I mean, who did he piss off? To? <laughs> I mean, you see the debut. I mean, Nurmagomedov was supposed to go against Corey Sanhagen, you know? Um, and, and and now he's he's got a UFC newcomer. I, I mean, I mean it's a pretty bold to say you know Umar is 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 the best in Magomedov uh, with um, what's the what's the Bellator's I can't think of his first name. The, the Usman. Usman, yeah, Usman. I, I, I think Umar is better than Usman. Like, but yeah, I was gonna back you up on that. Like, it's a bold yeah. thing to say, but. Yeah, I mean, this kid looks good. I mean, he's an incredible athlete. And I'm not dogging Usman. Usman looks, <laughs> looks fantastic, too. But uh, he he moves super well. He's elusive. 
really good footwork. He just flows back and forth from orthodox to southpaw, uh, set up his combinations. He has like taekwondo kind of bladed stance, so he makes himself a smaller target. Uh, his hands, you know, very basic style of boxing, but it, but it works so well for him. Uh, and he's now just kind of coming into his power years. Uh, huge kicking game. I mean, lands kicks everywhere. Really good wrestler. I, mean, I go back to like the Nate Manis. I mean, he hit Nate Manis with the sweetest body lock inside trip takedowns you'll see. And it was like Henry Cejudo level takedowns. Fantastic entries, smothering top control. Uh, I love that he doesn't just sit. He doesn't just sit in his opponent's guard. He looks a pass. He cuts through guards super easy. Really good ground and pound. Uh, submission threat. Go back to like Brian Kelly. I mean, I mean, he made Brian Kelly look like a bum uh, on the ground. And he has seven submission wins already in his young career. Uh, Alakon, yeah, he's 26, so I like that. Uh, I like the way he moves, pretty elusive, moves really well. He darts in and out of range, the land shots, fast hands. He attacks with straight shots. He attacks with combos. He's accurate. Uh, great power. I mean, he's got 13 KOs already in his career. Um, he's got that, like, classic high guard defense, which is, you know, hard to hit him, you know, clean in the head. Good, good high kicks. Really good timing on his own wrestling. Uh, good at grabbing his opponent when they move forward. Like he, he's good at like backing up, backing up, and then when they try to close the distance, he times it and goes more of a body lock. Gets to the body lock, picks up and slams. If gets, you know, if it gets to the ground, he's got two subs already on his record. This is really a fantastic matchup. Like I, I like both guys. Uh, I should say fantastic matchup, but I mean like I, I mean just this was like. Uh, you know, a regional fight between two top prospects. Like, that's what it did feel like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because they're so young. Like, I, I feel like this could be a still on the regional scene. And, and I'm not, not saying he's a recent scene guy. I'm saying, like, like guys like two top prospects facing each other. I think Amakon's a really good addition to UFC. I, I, he looks like, to me, he could be a top 15 fighter in the future. Uh, and, and a ridiculously loaded division, for, for me to say that. But, I mean, dude, this guy's getting tossed to the wolves. Uh, he's really good, but Namagamanov is just better than him everywhere. Uh, I think Amagamanov will, will do enough to gain a lot of respect, but he ain't beating Namagamanov. I mean, Namagamanov, I, I said Amagamanov could become a top 15 fighter. Namagamanov could be the champion of this division. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's that, that special. Uh, I say Namagamanov wins everywhere. Um, I think we have some moments. I think he gets some takedowns. I think we finally get a, some kind of scramble, and Demarco Madoff just jumps on a sub, and, and I'll say Demarco Madoff the second round submission. We head now to the middleweight division for a meeting between Eric Anders and Jamie Pickett. Anders, the 36-year-old uh, Alabama native, is 15 and eight with one no contest overall. He is seven and eight with one no contest in the UFC. He is coming into this fight off a loss. Uh, his only appearance in calendar year 2023 was at UFC 289, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Mark Andre Barrio. So he will look to get this year off to a good start against Pickett. Pickett, 35 year old North Carolina native, is 13 and 10 overall. He is two and six. Since joining the UFC as a three-time veteran of the Contender Series, uh, he lost on Season 1, lost on Season 3, finally won third time around on Season 4. Since then, he's been in the UFC, but as I said, not the best results. He's on a four-fight losing streak. Uh, most recently faced Josh Fremd at UFC on ESPN, Luque versus Dos Anjos last August, dropping a unanimous decision. 
Odds here heavily favor your boy. He is minus 340, Pickett plus 260. I... I was talking to Sherdog associate editor Jay Petrie about this fight earlier today, just while we were getting some work done. And I said, this is a, this is a heavyweight fight with middleweights. Like if, if you tell me there's a fight on a UFC main card and the better fighter is under 500 in the UFC and the worst fighter is on a four fight losing streak. You're like, how is the one guy even still in the UFC? And how yeah. is this thing on a main card? Yeah, you would think it. I'm talking you'd think I'm talking about heavyweights. This is a middleweight heavyweight fight. And to make it even more of a middleweight heavyweight fight, it's probably going to be terrible. Like, I know the UFC, assuming this stays on the main card, put it on the main card because, oh, man, we got to have a knockout. And these are some big dudes that that swing hard. But you've seen Eric Anders fight. Yeah. You've seen Jamie Pickett fight. Like, it's probably going to be a three-round fight. And by the third round... Both guys are so tired that there's like 12 total strikes. Like Anders yeah. is what he is. Like he he had he had the the rising prospect cachet forever. One, because even though he was surprisingly old when he got to the UFC, I mean he was already in his mid-20s, you know, he didn't have many fights. He had obvious athletic gifts. They'll always tell you that he played linebacker for for uh, Alabama. Do you, do you want to explain that to Europeans? What that means? That's like playing. Uh, yeah, it's like he was a he was like a halfback. Yeah, like a halfback for Real Madrid. Uh, you know what? He, he's thirty six. How many Alabama linebackers are still in the NFL at age thirty six? I mean, there might be one if I think about it real hard. Yeah, but, right. but he probably ain't starting. No, uh, like Anders. His, <laughs> but they don't have to. If they played that long in the NFL, they don't have to still be competing at thirty six. Exactly. <laughs> they've they've they, they made more money than Eric Anders has in his entire fight career. Their rookie year, yes. <laughs> like poor Anders is like taking Uber to get to like LA. I just see him like being like Rudy outside like the Alabama stadium. Like, oh no, no, not Rudy. The 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 black guy, Rudy, the guy who's like the. uh the, the the landscaper yeah. like that meanders like I, I played on this field. Yep. <laughs> I, like, and the rest of the guys are like right leaving the stadium in like BMWs and Porsches and shit. And he's just like always oh, talking about the glory days and he's gonna have to fight some guys locally. They could they make they should make a movie out of Anders. They totally should. Uh but man, like They'd have to do some doctoring up of, of the fight scenes in it. Uh, I mean, he, he is what he is. At 36, his athletic gifts are starting to slide anyway, but he never had the athletic gifts that the UFC wanted you to believe. Like, believe it or not, the things that make you great at playing linebacker, like the 20-yard shuttle drill, don't <laughs> necessarily translate well to, yeah. to, to fighting. Like, you know, he's if incredibly. Better, if you gave him a football, if you pick a football, like I'd be more interested in watching Pickett with a football, like one side of the afternoon, and like there was like a little end zone here to run through Anders and the end. Like I would bet on the Anders to like stop him, tackle him. Oh, yeah. Like, if, you had, if you had like that moment in the, uh, which was at 99, the Rams and, and Titans, like Pickett catches a pass and Anders has to yeah. tackle him before he crosses the goal line. Yep. I, <laughs> if they just had Pickett and Anders doing. NFL drills against you. Like, uh, yeah, you know, what's that what's that drill called? Uh, uh they, they lie on the ground, they jump up and smash into each other. I cannot remember. Omaha. It's like Omaha Omaha drill, isn't it? No, it's not Omaha. Dude, people are freaking gonna kill me if I'm not 
<laughs> I'm sure oh, they'll let us know. You, know, and, you lay on the ground yeah. and just jump oh, yeah. up and smash into each other. It's oh, yeah. aimed after like some freaking city or something like that. I'm sorry, guys. I, I lost my man card for not knowing this one. <laughs> Just, just your American man card. Like, you know, Europe will still take you. Uh, but Anders is what he is. The, the problem is not that his athletic gifts have, have slid because 185, you can actually prosper in your late 30s. It's that he never really developed past the fighter he was when he got to the UFC. I, we're now coming up on five years since his fight with Khalil Roundtree, which I thought going into it was a pretty even matchup. But Roundtree completely schooled him because Roundtree had been improving and Anders had not. Uh, he still hits hard you know, like throws hard single shots. Like if, if he hits you, it does hurt, but doesn't throw enough volume. Uh, he's a surprisingly good wrestler because he is extremely strong and has pretty good instincts for it. But he's kind of a directionless fighter. If a fighter is good at one thing, they're probably going to be able to keep the fight in the territory that serves them best. I mean, you'd, like his, his losses, Marc-Andre Berrio, Junyong Park, Andre Muniz, Christoph Yatko, they're all very different fighters, but those fights all ended up being their style of fight, and Anders was in uh, above his depth. Like, uh, And yet Anders is a greater than three to one favorite against Pickett because Pickett just hasn't shown, like he, he's not shown anything. He's, He's not as athletic as you think. I mean, in, in a vacuum, if you look at him just, you know, when he's shadow boxing in the UFC sizzle thing, you th think, oh, man, this guy's absolutely massive. He's not absolutely massive. He's got the, the Phil Davis body where he has such a V taper. He looks like such a comic book character. But then when you see him across from another guy in the same weight class, you're like, oh, yeah, you're, you're medium size. Just, you know, uh, you probably have to get your shirts taken in, at, at the waist. Uh, he's he's not as athletic as you'd think he's a bad defensive wrestler like a terrible defensive wrestler despite how strong he looks and presumably is everyone is able to kind of mash him against the fence and bully him against the fence take you know the outside position knee him maul him take him down if they want just it it feels weird to say but i feel okay saying it about a guy that's two and six in the ufc he doesn't really do anything at a ufc level and he's very susceptible to whatever his opponent wants to do. Like the ones who want to knock him out on the feet are able to force that kind of fight. The ones who want to just take him down and take the easy route on the ground, like say Bo Nickel, they're able to do that. Uh, it should have been an indication when he lost his first two times on the contender series because he lost to Charles Bird and Puna Soriano, neither of whom were great middleweights either, and finally beat Jonathan Potty, who was by no means ever going to be a, a UFC level fighter. That should have been an indication that Jamie Pickett probably didn't belong in the UFC, but you know, he's got signed back a couple times for short notice bookings. And all of a sudden he has his ninth fight in the UFC. And I don't see what he's going to do against Anders here. Like I normally am not confident in Anders as a favorite, just because his opponents are usually so able to impose their will on him. but there's nothing that Pickett could really leverage there. Like even if it turns into like a slow paced exchange, one strike at a time type kickboxing match, I think Anders wins that. I think Anders can take Pickett down if he wants. Like if Anders decided to just scoop pick Pickett up, slam him down, and do enough work on top to obviously win the rounds, he wins 30-27. Uh, if he really steps on the gas, he might even be able to pound him out on the ground. So I favor Anders. I'm going to say Anders by decision, but this fight's probably going to be terrible. Yeah, that's terrible. I mean, just calling the 
Oklahoma drill, the Omaha drill. Shame on me. I mean, shame, shame. But you know what? It's because I did that drill in high school. I lost too many brain cells. <laughs> Playing safety, I'm like, Coach, mommy, do I'm a safety? Come on, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, this fight. I mean, I, I, I can't. Well, can I say something about this fight? Yeah. When yeah. I first scanned this card, like again a, a week ago, you know, on last Saturday when we were getting ready for UFC, uh, the UFC Mexico preview, I assumed that we had already previewed this one. This just sounded like a fight the UFC had made already. I was unpleasantly surprised to be like, oh man, we're actually going to have to talk about this one. It just sounds like the kind of fight they would have made already. There's certain, so as long as we've been doing this, there's certain fighters I love breaking down their film. Alex Volkanovski, Israel Adesanya, you know, Marab. And and then there's these guys. Like, no offense to them. Yeah, I... I mean, I used to do a lot of interviews. I interviewed Eric Anders. He's very, like, open to speaking to people and uh, seems like a really good guy. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he's, like, he's the middle of the pack of the most middle of the pack division. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's, he's like, uh, he's a hot dog. Like, at a, at a, at a cookout. Like, you're, you're fine eating a hot dog, but... You know, and you're looking around for some side, and it's like, like Jamie Pickett's like, like I'd say a great. He's not even a grape. He's like a raisin. He's like a grape that became a raisin. Like, I mean, like okay, we're fine, but uh, I mean, Andrews, the yeah, southpaw, who I mean, despite playing that Alabama like 15 years ago or something like that, he isn't a great. Like you mentioned, he isn't a great athlete. He's slow. He's plodding. His volume has really dropped in, in his fights. Uh, though I did say that before the Kyle Dawkins fight, he had, he had more volume against Kyle Dawkins. Uh, he was attacking with combinations and that, but he was throwing the same combos, the same winging overhand left. He, ha- Like you said, he has some pop, but it is grossly overrated. They're going to act like he's a prime Anthony Johnson still throwing heat out there, and it's just not the case. Um, they'll show him blasting Kyle Dawkins. Uh, which has actually aged well. Dawkins has done pretty well since he's left the UFC, but still, like, I, I, it's just one of those ones where we see, it's like when Michael Johnson got, gets a knockout recently, and then it's like, oh, it's suddenly it's, he's this big cracker again. Uh, he's got a lot of defensive issues, Anders. He doesn't move well. He's very hittable. He's taken a lot of damage over the years. He he will wrestle more than you expect, and I actually think he's a I actually think he's a better grappler at this point in his career than he is mm-hmm. a striker. He's an underrated grappler. Um, strong takedown defense because there's that like that big base, you know. Uh, but I mean, he was subbed by Anthony Mooney, so he's not like he's, – he's not Dave Murray down there. Jamie Picker, I mean, he's not a great athlete. He's a, He tries to be a technical striker that, you know, kind of fights out of both stands. He works from distance. Uh, he hates being forced back and pressured like like he was against Dennis Hoolan. Uh, his output in his last fight really dipped. He's got okay hand speed. He's got okay power. But Josh Fremm, like, out-muscled in the clinch, uh, a position, like when you said, you look at Pinky, you didn't expect that to happen, and Fremm out-muscled him. He will wrestle, and he, he, he chains tacks together well, decently with his wrestling. But even when he got the fight to the ground, he was swept by Josh Fremm. He's not a great defensive wrestler. This, 
and I've said this last time, but despite people pretending he stopped takedowns against Bo Nickel, it just it was not true. Uh, when he gets taken down, he struggles to get back to his feet. He isn't much of a submission threat. I mean, he was subbed by. I mean, we we joke about Bo Nickel and everything, and and obviously he's a ridiculous grappler, but he's still an inexperienced like with submissions, and he and he was submitted by Bo Nickel really easily. I'm not high on either guy. I think Anders is low level UFC talent at this point, but I don't even think Pickett is even that. I mean, no. I'm, I mean, Anders hits harder. I think he's a better grappler. I think I think he can win the clinch battle. That said, I, I'm with you. I think this is going to be a boring bout. But give me Anders to win some clinch battles, maybe get a takedown, maybe spend more time on top. Give me Anders by decision. Next up, and at least as the card is constituted as of the beginning of fight week, third from the top at UFC Vegas 87 is a flyweight matchup between Alex Perez and Mohamed Mikhaev. Perez, the 31-year-old Californian, is 24-7 and overall. He is 6-3 and since joining the UFC out of the very first season of Dana White's Contender Series. He's on a two-fight losing streak, uh, although those losses being to Davis and Figueredo and Alessandro Pantoja, two of your last three champs in the division, that's not so terrible. The terrible thing is that the most recent of those the Pantoja loss was almost two years ago. It was at UFC 277 all the way back at in July of 2022. Since then, he's been on the shelf for about 20 months. He has fallen out of a fight with injury. He's had an opponent fall out of a fight. He made it all the way to fight week against Manel Kopp last year, and then he fell ill uh, on the day of the fight. Like I believe he even made it through weigh-ins. So a mixture of bad luck and bad health. Uh, he's been on the shelf for almost two years in a division that is not terribly forgiving uh, of age. And speaking of unforgiving uh, in his return, they're matching him up against perhaps the hottest prospect in the, in the division in the form of Mikhaev, the 23 year old Dagestani fighting out of England, uh, now, actually, I think fighting out of uh, out of Bahrain, I think he's actually training at uh, KHK MMA with Shamil Gaziev. But at any rate, longtime uh, UK resident, born in Dagestan. He's 11-0 with one no contest overall. He's 5-0 in the UFC. He fought most recently last October at UFC 294, where he tapped out Tim Elliott in the third round. Uh, prior to that, his only other fight in 2023 was a third-round submission of Jafel Filio, which there was a bit of controversy just because there was a spot in the second round where he was caught pretty deep in a submission, and there's a did-he-tap-didn't-he-tap moment. But by the only numbers that matter, his official record, he is still undefeated. He will look to stay that way, and he is a comfortable favorite to do so. Makayev is minus 300, Perez plus 250 on the comeback. Keith, I'm going to ask you this about any undefeated 23-year-old, especially one with the kind of charisma Makayev has. Is he the real deal? And is he going to prove it against Perez on Saturday? Um, yeah, he's a real deal. Um, will he prove it on Perez on Saturday? Uh, it depends on what Perez is at this point. Like, I, I think he could be also will be like, yeah, he'd be the guy that hasn't won a fight in four years. So I don't know if he, like, Perez is the guy that really get people who don't believe in him over. I mean, I don't think there's many people at this point that doesn't believe in him. Um, you know, and, and Perez, 
I mean, the guy, I mean, the guy's a former title challenger. He's, 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 I'm worried he's even going to make the weight. I mean, he's a big dude for the weight class. He, he struggled making weight in the past. He's been so inactive. You, you know, wonder, can this guy at this age still make the weight class? And it's really hard to gauge what we have of him. It, the dude fought three and a half minutes in the last four years. So, uh, the guys he's fought has been two studs, you know, his last two fights. So, you know, give him a little bit of pass on that. So I kind of have to grade him on what I've seen recently or what I've you know seen of him, like not knowing it's such a mystery, you know, his return. I, you know, when he was actively competing, he's, he had good volume. Uh, he pressed forward, marched down his foe. Uh, though against Pantoja, he really hated the pressure. Pantoja keep came right out and like going crazy. He's a solid boxer. He keeps everything tight. His high guard defense. He's accurate. His straight right beat his best punch. Likes to work the body. Good calf kicks. He's a very good wrestler. Nice entries. Strong top control. Solid ground and pound. Uh, but the Achilles heel of him been recently is his submissions. I mean, he got submitted by Figueredo and Pantoja. I mean, Pantoja is an all-time great when it comes to you know, submissions, and obviously Figueroa has such a great run as a champion, so they're not bad losses, but still, it's, you know, back-to-back fights getting subbed is, is not a good look. Mikhaev, you you mentioned, I mean, the guy's an uber prospect. Uh, on the feet, high-vime striker that is that is technical. He sets his attacks with feints. Uh, that's because he's trying to, uh, you know, draw an attack so he can slip and rip. He does really good to just to slip out of range, just, you know, Keeps him away defensively, but still be able to he can spring right back in with his counters. He's got quick hands, cuts angles well, so he doesn't be countered. Uh, he can crack, uh, especially in the pocket. Uh, he works the body well. He's a super athlete. I mean, like his his flying knee uh, that he hit, hit on Cody Darden is was something super impressive. Really good wrestler. Explodes through your hips with his entries. Cuts the corners really well. Um, super strong. We see him hit suplexes and matches uh when he hits the ground though he he kind of rushes some attempts uh i mean like go back to the malcolm gordon fight where he obviously clearly won that fight but there was moments he was riding high on him now he's a submission there he's an opportunistic submission he's got five subs on his record he's hard to submit uh and you go back to like tim elliott like he's he remained calm i guess a really crafty veteran guy in some tough situations and, and didn't get tapped uh, his card is a little bit of a question mark to me because he tends to fight in spurts. Like, this is the one thing that really bothers me about Mikhaev. I mean, he slowed down against Gordon despite actually getting a late sub. But against uh, Fialo in a fight that was a much closer fight than expected, and I know there was some controversy there, but he took the second round off in the Fialo fight and just gave it away to him. You know, kind of mm-hmm. way he was kind of like trying to recharge the battery for, for a late push in the third. So... Mikhaev is really good, uh, but he tends to fight down to his competition, have closer fights than, than a lot of times the betting line suggests. Um, you know, it's, it's that said, it, it's, it's hard to have any confidence in Perez. I mean, he hasn't won a fight in four years. He's getting out there in age. He's, you know, he, he could he be the same guy that left and be a top 10 guy? Sure, but he also could be completely gone, faded. You know, based on besides the two losses and, and being an active, but he's had tons of slew of injuries and pullouts and, and bad luck and kind of, you know, all the check all the above. And then the UFC is not doing any favors. I mean, 
he easily could be facing a guy come off the contender series, like or or a guy with one or two wins in the UFC. To, to guy who's struggling and hasn't been fighting and tossing to Makayev kind of shows where the UFC views him now. I, I don't think they use him as, hey, he beats Makayev, he's right back to the next. I, I don't think that's their plan. I think they're more of, let's see what Makayev has, you know. I, I think Makayev could put it on him early. Like, he really could. If Makayev takes him out in the first round, it would not surprise me at all. I think Perez will survive. Uh, he might even win the second round if Makayev slows down or takes that moment off. But I think the late push Perez will be stuffed. Makayev will hurt him. And, and I think he's going to lock on a submission. Uh, give me Makayev a third round submission. Yeah, I agree on a lot of that stuff. It, it's interesting that this card is such a feed the old Lions to the new Lions type card. We talked earlier about Matt Schnell coming back after a lengthy layoff and getting matched up against Steve Ursig, who all of a sudden is showing a, some significant upside. Like they could have just had Perez and Schnell fight each other. I feel like they tried to make that fight a million times. Uh, Eamon Zahabi coming in for his once yearly appearance in the UFC and they let Javid Basharat show what he can do. In each case, if the you know, if Zahabi, Schnell, or Perez wins, like you said, it's not like they're suddenly back as some sort of contender. This fight is all about showing what the hot prospect can do. Uh, Perez is... I, I came into the beginning of my study for this fight thinking Perez, you know, I was probably a little hard on him just because he's lost to like the best of the best of the best. Like his, his three UFC losses, Pantoja, Figueredo. So you got two champs there. Benavidez, who was the number two guy in the division for a million years, probably still including in late 2018 when they fought. He, he was probably no worse than the third best guy in the division. But on the flip side of that, his last three wins in the UFC, Juicy, like the ghost of Juicy Formiga, Jordan Espinosa, Mark De La Rosa, those guys account for a total of one UFC win after fighting Perez, and it was Espinosa beating Mark De La Rosa. Like, he, they're either matching him against the very best people in the division or using him as, like, a broom to push people out of the division that don't belong there. So this is a, a case of the UFC believes that they have something in Mokhaev. And the thing about Perez is, like you mentioned, he's – Big, powerful, well-rounded, a good offensive fighter pretty much everywhere. But he's gotten blitzed fast on the ground in his last two fights. And the last time he fought a stand-up fighter with a pulse, Joseph Benavidez murked him. Mokai could do either of those things to Perez. And if Perez comes back and he makes weight, he's two years older, depleted. Mokayev being a guy that, I agree that he takes stretches off, but he tends to start pretty fast. Like there's part of him that clearly wants a 30 second highlight reel type finish. I think he gets one here. I think he becomes the third guy in a row to finish Alex Perez in the third, in the first round. And going to say, maybe it looks something like the Figueredo fight where they exchange some strikes on the feet, but Mokayev is just faster and hits harder, which is what Figueredo did. Figueredo tagged him to the body. Mokayev could certainly do that either Perez is hurt or there's some sort of collision that turns into a scramble. Makayev clamps down on something and Perez can't get out just like Figueredo did in guillotining him. Give me uh Mikhaev by first round submission here. The hype will 
you know, start cranking up again, rightfully so. That brings us to the co-main event of UFC Fight Night 238, a light heavyweight matchup between Vitor Petrino and Tyson Pedro. Petrino, the 26-year-old Brazilian, is a perfect 10-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. He's a perfect 3-0 since joining the UFC out of season six of Dana White's Contender Series. He fought uh, three times last year, picking up wins over Anton Turkali, Martin Procnio, and Modestus Bukowskis. The most recent of those, the Bukowskis fight, was at UFC Fight Night Almeida versus Lewis. Uh, that was the Sao Paulo card, I believe, uh, back in November. He will look to make it four in a row, mark himself a top 15 contender maybe sooner rather than later at the expense of Pedro. Uh, Pedro, 32-year-old Australian, is 10-4 and four overall. He's 6-4 and four in the UFC. He's 3-1 and one since returning from a nearly three-year layoff. Uh, he lost back-to-back -back fights to Ovin St. Pru and Shogun Hua back in 2018, disappeared until uh, April of 2022. Since then, again, he's won three of four. Fought most recently last September at uh, UFC 293, where he knocked out Anton Turkali in the first round. Odds here heavily favor the younger man. Petrino is minus 300, Pedro plus 225. Uh, Keith, I'm going to flip this one to you. I mean, the good news is that Tyson Pedro has won three of four. Uh, the bad news is that I don't think Ike Villanueva, Harry Hunsucker, or Anton Turkali are still in the UFC. So, <laughs> does Pedro get a win over someone actually on UFC roster at, at this point, or does the Vitor train keep rolling? I, I mean, Harry Hansen should at least be in the UFC just because people really enjoy that guy. Uh, yeah, it's fun. Um, so, I've been talking and, uh, like about the, the, the Kentucky Judo Federation has no representatives left. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I mean, Tyson Pedro, he looks like a heavyweight. I mean, the guy is huge. Uh, he's a decent athlete, though his he's gone a very Andre Alowski route with his with his output. Lower he's he's done well to be able to slow the pace. He's a counter striker that uses feints well to set up his counters, throws straight shots down the pipe. He he did show against Anton Tacali that he still has some power left. Good kicks. I mean he beat up Ike Villanova with good calf kicks. He likes teeth kicks up the middle. Uh, but he has defensive holes. Uh, he backs straight up with his head on the center line. He will wrestle, but he's not great at it. He's a weak defensive wrestler. I mean, he, he was out-wrestled by Shogun. Uh, he struggles to get off the bottom. He is a submission threat. He has five subs on his record. But he has really gassed in, in, in a lot of the fights. I mean, he, he looked like he was hit with a tranquilizer gun in the Shogun fight. And his, his cardio was really bad against Brzezgalskis. It lasted like two minutes, and he was sucking wind super hard. Petrino, Petrino's a great athlete, very explosive, quick hands, really sits on his shots, throws hard power shots, short, tight hooks. I mean, he starts uh, Modestus Bukakis with one shot. I like that he goes to the body. I like that he looks for elbows inside the pocket, too, which is nice. He'll throw mean step and knees. He's got a quick high, high kick. Uh, he has been rock in the past, but he has really improved his head movement and, and made himself harder to hit in his most recent fights. He's a solid wrestler. Uh, was another thing we've seen him really grow in that realm. Good entries, good top control. Though, I mean, he's not this huge submission threat, but he did sub Marcin Procneo uh, against Bilotto on, on the contender series. Uh, you know, the guy's known for his jiu-jitsu. 
he didn't panic. He stayed relaxed, found a way to get back to his feet. Uh, I still am a little unsure about his gas tank. Uh, it was it was questionable against Anton Tercali, but then it looked better against Martin Procneo. So uh, I I keep saying all night that I think the betting line's off. This is the one. I think the betting line isn't big enough. Uh, I think Machino should be like a four to one favorite. I think this is a showcase fight for Trino. Uh, I think he's a terrible stylistic matchup for Pedro. I think he runs right through him. I think he comes out the gate throwing big shots. I think he's going to knock Pedro out. Give me uh, Petrino by first round knockout. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on this one. And same as in a fight that we talked about earlier, like, okay, Pedro's a, a big underdog, even if you and I both believe that he could be a bigger one. And the routes to victory for him are just not there. Because, yeah, if, if one of the last remaining question marks hovering over Petrino is his gas tank. Pedro's not the one that's going to test that because if Pedro isn't knocked out in the first three minutes, he's probably going to be breathing with his mouth open. Like is he's a guy with, I mean, he has some gifts and he was a mildly promising fighter when he got to the UFC in 2016, like came to the UFC in 2016 beat, uh, Paul Craig and Khalil Roundtree in his first two fights, two wins that have aged really, really well. But, and at the time he was, you know, I think like 26 years old. Uh, he was huge. He was athletic, but kind of like Eric Anders that I talked about earlier, it, like he's not developed at all. Uh, like just seems to have no fight IQ, no gas tank. He took three, years off, came back, and yeah, he's picked up a couple wins, but they're over kind of like the lowest level fighters the division has to offer. Yeah, he just never became what he seemed to promise to uh, become, and Petrino should be better everywhere. Pedro has shown moments of being opportunistic on the ground. Uh, his three-minute fight against Ovin St. Prue was a whole lot of fun, and they, they each had each other in, in trouble for, for moments, but yeah, like they're as the underdog, I just don't see plausible avenues to victory here. I'd like to pick something different just to be different, but I, I see no reason to. I think Petrino makes a statement here as well. Probably starts as Pedro in the first round. And if he doesn't, it's not like I'm feeling better about Pedro after the first round. Like if Petrino puts it on Pedro for five minutes, like Pedro's not going to be a happy man coming out for that second round. But yeah, I'm with you. Petrino by first round KO here. With that, we come to the main event of UFC Vegas 87, a heavyweight clash between Jairzinho Rosenstrike and Shamil Gaziev. Rosenstrike, the 35-year-old man from Suriname, is 13-5 overall. He is 8-5 in the UFC. He is coming into this fight off of a loss and having lost three of his last four, but in his defense, they were all two top 10, if not top five fighters. Uh, he fought just once last year. It was in the headliner of UFC on ABC four in May, where he got tapped out in the first round by Gilton Almeida to the surprise of exactly nobody. Uh, prior to that, uh, he hadn't fought since December, 2022 when he knocked out Chris Dawkins in like 20 seconds. So he'll be looking to get back in the win column here. Uh, a knockout artist at heavyweight is never more than a couple wins away from a, a main event or the title picture, but he's going to have to do it against Gaziev. Uh, Gaziev, 34-year-old Dagestani fighting out of Bahrain, is 12-0 as a pro. He's 1-0 in the UFC since joining out of Season 7 of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he fought 
on the contender series last September, knocking out Greg Velasco or sorry, tapping out Greg Velasco in the first round made his actual UFC debut at UFC 296 in December, knocking out Martin Budai early in the second round. He'll look to make it two in a row here and keep his undefeated record uh, undefeated. And he is slightly favored to do so. Closest line on the card, Gaziev is minus 140, Rosenstrike plus 110. Uh, Keith, the the odds makers, or at least the betters who drive those lines, clearly believe Rosenstrike proves or poses some legitimate threats to the undefeated Gaziev. Do you feel the same way, or do you feel like this is a showcase for the man from Dagestan? No, I, I think he does. I mean, I mean, just... Just going based on who these guys have fought, I mean, Rosary has the better wins in his career. You know, um, Rosary, it's it's tough because he hasn't lost to a scrub. Like, he hasn't, I, I shouldn't say scrub, that's a bad word. Like he hasn't lost to a, a low-level guy. He's only lost to the best guys in the division. Uh, he's a good kickboxer who stays very loose and relaxed on the feet. He's a counter-striker, though he can be a, a little low on his output. Um, we've seen this many times in the fights. Sirogan being the perfect example. Alistair Overing, a fight that he won. He had to meet a late surge. Uh, even the junior Joe Santos fight. Again, these are the ones that are going back, but same thing. Other guys like Curtis Blades put him on his back the whole time, so he didn't really have a chance to really let go. Uh, when he throws his hands, he's, he's got fast hands, no tells, very short, tight shots. He's got a good jab. It's a bit of a power jab. He has serious power. I mean, I always say go back to the Alistair Overing fight, what he did to his face. Uh, he and then the Augustus guy was another one where he landed a perfectly placed uh, uh, deadly left hook. Uh, that, that's actually another fight right? I don't mention about like yeah he landed that big shot against Sakai but he really wasn't he was kind of marching him down but he wasn't throwing much uh, because of his Muay Thai style he stands right in front of his opponent and eats shots he's taken a lot of damage he has no offensive wrestling like doesn't go for Dave Bell, doesn't wrestle. He's a terrible defensive wrestler. He can't get off the bottom. And, and you got to worry about his chin. I mean, he's been in those kickboxing matches, but he also got smashed by Francis Ngano. He got smashed by Alexander Volkov. Uh, so, he's, you know, he doesn't have this great chin. Gassiev, uh, really, really big guy, well-rounded, uh, marches down his foe, throws straight shots down the pipe, has really good power. Uh, I love that he crushes the body. And he's well-rounded. You know, he can wrestle. He's got good top control, advances position on the ground, mean ground pound. He has three subs on his record. Um, he, even when he got a position against the contender series, he was able to get back up. Now, he, has he briefly had his back taken on the contender series, so that was concerning. Uh, and he did slow down a little bit in that fight. But, you know, as far as prediction goes here, Rosemary is a powerful striker. I mean, he's, you got to be very careful coming in on him. I mean, if he, he if he lands a shot, he can start to anybody. Uh, but Gazev has a big power. I mean, he's a big dude. You know, add in the fact that Road Strike's wrestling is horrendous, and Gazev should have a massive, you know, wrestling advantage. I'm just, I'm just going to go with the guy that has more avenues for victory. I mean, I say it's close you know, on the feet, in the distance. I mean, either guy could land the fight, you know, land a, a shot and, and win the fight. I just, I'm giving the guy who's going to, I think, is more likely to, to use a strike and to close the distance, maybe grab a, a single or run the pipe and kind of thing that. I think he gets the fight to the ground, and I think he's he's spending a majority of the fight on top, landing shots. It looks a lot like Rose Strike's fight against um, 
Curtis Blades. I, I think he eventually beats up Rosenstreich too much in the ground. I think Rosenstreich gets desperate, gives up his back, and I see Gassio locks in a submission. I'll see he does it in the second round. Yeah, I feel like you see this fight a, a lot like I do. You made the point that Rosenstreich, is, he's never lost to a bad fighter. But you look at his his losses in the UFC, Nganu, gone, Blades, Volkov, Almeida, all. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. You're saying, assuming assuming yeah, you were counting Nganu still active, all tough, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, like quote like his the quote unquote worst of those guys might be Volkov, who's been a top ten heavyweight yeah. for like eight years. It, uh, I'm not predicting Volkov to win a UFC title, but, but it's not in the realm of possibility. It, that's a perfect way to put it. And Almeida, he may be the lowest ranked of them at the time they fought, but it, it wouldn't surprise anybody if Almeida's champion yeah, sometime in the yeah, next exactly. two. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, the the flip side of that is concerning though. Because you think about, okay, what's Rosenstrike's best win? I don't know which it is in terms of ranking or name value, but his best performance might be the, the Junior Dos Santos win. Because the thing about yeah. the Overeem fight is he was on his way to losing that fight 50-45. And if there was a little bit less, like if it was a different ref who was like, yeah, that's a horrible cut, but there's 10 seconds left in this fight. Like, yeah. Even if Rosenstrike gets a 10-8 round that round, he loses comfortably to Alistair Overeem, and we're telling a whole different story about him. Yeah. Uh, you uh, mentioned the Sakai fight. Like, we remember the finish, but it's not like he was in complete control of it there. My, there's no question that he hits like a truck. You know, he might not be a top 10 heavyweight, but he's in, he's in the top 10 heavyweights that I would at least like to give one free shot at my face. Uh but yeah, you you put it succinctly. Gaziev has more routes to victory, and they're even more than you would think. Because yeah, Gaziev could take Rosenstrike down. Rosenstrike's defensive wrestling is terrible. Uh, his bottom game on the ground is terrible, and Gaziev mm-hmm. is probably going to be the bigger, stronger man in the cage, even if they both tip the scale around two sixty. But also Rosenstrike for a guy that came to MMA from a kickboxing career. You know, from like, and obviously has been basically a pure kickboxer in the cage. He has a pretty narrow effective range. Like he's not good at providing offense from the clinch, for example. Uh, he needs the fight. Like he has incredible power, but he needs to fight in a pretty narrow range of, uh, you know, on the feet to actually leverage that power. I, I could see guys you have really stifling Rosenstrike's offense. I could see him uh, walking Rosenstrike back to the cage, getting in the clinch there, wearing on him, eventually taking him down, and all without his chin having to be on the gunnery range, you know, standing in that middle, like the middle kind of boxing distance to, to like just the edge of, of kicking distance. Like, I don't think Gaziev could or probably will spend any more time in that range than he has to. And so, yeah, I, I think this thing looks pretty one-sided, especially for what a dangerous fighter Rosenstrike is in the right situation. I don't think we get that situation. Uh, you had Gaziev by second-round sub. I'm actually thinking it happens in the first round. I, I don't think Gaziev will have quite as easy a time getting Rosenstrike down as Blades did, but I think he might have more of a sense of urgency once he's there. Uh, you know, that's a well-known thing about Blades where 
he you know is happy to camp out on top and win rounds that way uh i can see guys you have like really pressing the issue but i see the finish the same way you do he's pelting rosenstrike rosenstrike doesn't like it turns gives his back and gets choked out and this thing is over. So give me Gaziev by first round submission here. And I think it's going to be a pretty one-sided affair for as long as it goes. And that is it. The Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 238, Rosenstrike versus Gaziev, also known as UFC Vegas 87. I've been Ben. He has been Keith. If this is your first time watching or listening to one of our previews, first of all, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We do our best to bring you a mix of in-depth analysis and occasional side tangents into shit-talking global sports. Uh, Please do like, subscribe, drop us a comment. Keith and I both uh, man the comment section. We'd love to hear your take on these fights. This is one of those rare cards where I think we agreed all the way up. But uh, if you think we're crazy on any of these, do let us know. If you're picking a big upset in any of the extremely wide lines on this card, let us know. We will give you all the credit uh, if those play out for you. But most importantly, join us for the recap. We'll be live on the SureDog YouTube page about 10 minutes after the main event. Uh, Keith will take the helm. We'll talk about all 11 of these fights in reverse order from the headliner all the way down to those uh, opening bouts, talking about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something. uh, Talking about what's next for some of the notable winners as well as losers and talking with you because the live chat is open that whole time. So we're taking your questions, your comments, and your hot takes in real time. We have a growing community of friends that join us and hang out after the fights. We would love you to be part of it. Between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, enjoy these fights. Except to dig down Except to dig down